So for me, having a nine-figure business or nine-figure net worth is I have to overcome all the like darkness and all the shadows and all the that I like is uncomfortable and I have to become better. I have to grow into a better leader and grow into a better communicator in order to do that. So the superhero version of myself, like when I think of like, okay, what's the ultimate life that I could have? That is what comes to mind. So that's the version of myself that I'm chasing. So that's the best version of myself. You are now entering a new paradigm. So here is my issue. I wanted to find the answers to life's biggest questions. Things like, how do I become happy and live with purpose? How do I make more money doing what I love? And what does it mean to be truly successful in all areas of life? My name is Josh Forty, at Josh Forty on Instagram, and I ask life's biggest questions and share the answers with you. My goal is to help you find purpose, happiness, and open your mind to new realms of possibility by helping you think differently about everything you do, know, and understand. On this podcast, we think different, we dream bigger, and we live in a world without limits. This is a new paradigm. Welcome to the Think Different Theory. Attention, please note, and I cannot possibly stress this enough, this podcast episode contains strong and vulgar language. While Think Different Theory is primarily a clean podcast, we cannot always control what our guests say. So due to the nature of this episode and the amount of language that is used, I want to make it very clear that listener discretion is advised. Thank you. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Think Different Theory. We're live with, well, he introduced me as the Donald Trump loving was it white boy or something like that? So the, uh, the porn hating black man. What's up, JR? What's going on? I just dropped my charger and completely broke it in half. Just oh, now. no. Is yeah. your computer going to die now in the middle of this no, interview? It's actually still working. What wow. a modern feat of, of engineering. Look at that. <laughs> we, um, we're streaming here both on Facebook and um, on the podcast. Let me tell you, this, this was quite the... Um, the operation to set up. I have two computers, two microphones, two cameras, and um, we, we've been setting stuff up here for a minute now. Yeah. It's been... What been are you cool. doing over there? I am uh, I'm setting up my water because I'm doing the 75 hard challenge. By oh, yeah. Dude, I've got... Check this out. Ready? I've got uh, two, two things here to drink. It's going to be a long interview. I did. Oh, yeah. What, what day are you on? Um, well, it's confusing because, you know, I started running three days beforehand. So like I'm three, I'm two days ahead of you, but I'm actually one day behind you, right? I think it's what it is. Uh, so what is it today? 40, what day are you on today? I think 49, I think. So today would be 48 of the 75 hard for me and 51 of running. Yeah, 49, I have it on my, on my little day count app. Yeah. Dude, so uh, no alcohol and I quit uh, smoking hookah 50 days ago. Wow, no, wait, wait, no alcohol, no hookah and what else? And then 75 hard. And then the 75 hard, which guys, for those of you that don't know what the 75 hard is, it is Andy. How do you, how do you say his last name? It's like Frizella. Frizella. I say Frizella. Frizella. We don't really know how to pronounce it. We just pretend. Um, but um, Andy uh, Frizella, he has a 75 hard challenge where you have to work out twice a day in some format for, uh, what is it, 45 minutes? And so you have an indoor and an outdoor uh, workout, which the outdoor workout for me is always running um, because I don't do anything but cardio. And then uh, you have to drink a gallon of water every day. You've got to read for 10 pages every day and you have to be on some form of diet. So and JR cut out alcohol. Pick. And take a progress pick. And no alcohol. No alcohol is part of it. 
And no alcohol. Well, I mean, that's easy for me since I don't drink. So, yeah. <laughs> but um, I cut out like deep fried cheeses and uh, can't have any of that. And, and um, chocolate milk every day. I used to drink chocolate milk every day. But uh, anyway, I'm excited for this podcast interview, bro. It's going to be a good one. We got a lot of to talk about. Can we have, I, can I, can we have, I mean, uh, guys, full, full transparency and warning. JR swears. So on the podcast, we might bleep it out. But if you're watching live, if this streamed anywhere, um, you're going to hear JR cuss. So let's say like, is oh, that careful. That, that's, that a, a that's, work? A, that's a, yeah. Am I adding costs for you? <laughs> I don't know if you're adding costs for me, but my editing team probably, uh, probably won't like it as much. <laughs> but uh, guys, I'm really excited about this interview. JR um, is a dear friend of mine. And um, I, I got to start off this interview. I got to ask you something though. You're, you're pitching this oh, event shit. of yours. Here we go. Yeah, we're going right into it, bro. We're just going to dive right in. Um, and by the way, guys, if we're not looking at you on one of the streams, we're streaming it in multiple different places, multiple different cameras. So if we're not looking at you on Facebook Live, we're sorry. Um, but I got to ask, you're promoting this event right now, mm-hmm. which the last event I came to of yours was amazing, by the way. Um, and very, very well done. But um, you're, you're saying scale to seven figures. That's your pitch, right? Mm-hmm. Bro, have you scaled to seven figures? I have not scaled an agency to seven figures. Ah, oh, okay. The person I'm actually co-hosting this event with Joel Kaplan, whose agency does three hundred thousand dollars a year. Uh, a a so, year? No, 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 a month. <laughs> a month sorry. <laughs> I know we we just had him on the show. I had to give you crap about that just because I knew you were partnering with him, yeah. um, and I had to. I was gonna. I was gonna. Start. I actually love the fact that you asked that because one thing that I tell everybody that that actually knows me is like, hey, if you ever see anything that I do that's inconsistent with who I say I am, or who I who I am, or who I say I want to be then I want you to address that because I don't want to live my life in incongruence. Yeah. Well, I think that's big too. And like, I knew what you were doing. We had Joel, uh, we had Joel back on the, or on the program. I don't know, a few weeks back or whatever. His, his episode killed it by the way. Maybe let's we'll see if we can get more downloads than his. That'll be hard to do. He's like top three, I think top four for sure. Um, uh, of most downloads. He pushed it hard, but number uh, one, uh, Brad Gibb by like a freaking mile, dude. His episode has 40% more downloads than the number two episode. Wow. Yeah. So it was, it was his episode, then it was one of my episodes, and then it was Steve Larson, and then it was Joel Kaplan. I think, I think Joel's, last time I checked, I haven't looked in a couple of days, but last time yeah, I checked- Joel's didn't come out that long ago. So. Right, exactly. So, uh, and, and Joel pushed it hard, much harder than anybody else did. So shout out Joel for being the OG amazing guest. Um, but- um, yeah, but I, I knew that you had partnered with him. And he, dude, that's a smart dude. Yeah, Joel's he's one smart. of my best friends in the world. Is he? Yeah, I, go, I went to visit him. I go to visit him like once a month in Denver. That's like what we're trying to do. I knew you were out there when we did the podcast interview um, with him because he was like, yeah, JR was up till like three o'clock in the morning last night uh, doing his 75 hard because he had to get it in. And I was like, well, good for him. And he's like, yeah, so he's still sleeping. I was like, <laughs> one day we like went out to like a club or whatever. And, uh, I got home after we were like out partying and of course like dry partying cause 75. Cause you can't, cause you can't drink. Um, and then after that, I still had to do a workout. So that was probably the day. Ooh, what's, um, what's been, what was the hardest day for you? Cause you're on day 51, right? Or whatever it was. So what was been the hardest day? Um, 49, yeah. There's been a, a bunch of days where I just had to have, to do like both workouts still. And it's 1am. Yeah. So, um, but I don't, I don't quite consider those like hard because it's just like, 
I just, I'm like, this is a consequence of my, my poor time management. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the hardest day for me was day six. Day six was a beast, bro. It, it, it sucked so bad. I did not want to get out of bed. I did not want to go for a workout. I did not want to run. I mean, I do running. Do you run? Um, I do. No, not really. I do biking. Like in place biking, like on a, uh, a bike at the thing or like actually no, freestyle that's, biking. That's pussy shit. Um, I have a, a physical bike that I take outside on the road. Mm. I don't have a bike. I used to bike a lot. I like, I like biking, but my problem is, is that ever since I bought a motorcycle, I thought bicycles for, for, for lame people. <laughs> Dude, I think motorcycles are the, the risk far outweighs the reward. I mean, maybe, but also have you ever ridden a motorcycle? Like, bro, actually, let's talk about that. Do you ride bikes at all? Like motorcycles? I had like a dirt bike way back and I've been on the back of one, like one time, mm. but I'm just like, dude, everybody, you know, who's driven a mo who's rode a motorcycle for an extended period of time ends up fucking getting in some kind of disaster. So I'm just like, I don't want to play those games. You know, I, I had a motorcycle. I've had four and I've actually motorcycle put me in jail, bro. Really? <laughs> Have you ever been to jail? No. <laughs> Black dude hasn't been to jail. White dude has. <laughs> Stereotypes broken in America. Let's go. Uh, but no, I had um, I had a motor. My first motorcycle was uh, a a yellow uh, Yamaha R6. Um, and no, no, no. Yeah, yeah, it was an R6, and that thing went like 145 miles an hour, maybe. So it wasn't too fast. Um, and that was the one um, that I got arrested on. I tried to outrun a, a cop. Um, that, that's a bad idea, by the way. Um, they, they caught me. And then, so I went to jail for like eight hours, just, so, just like not even overnight. And then, um, I ended up selling that one. I had a couple more, but my fastest one was this freaking beast. It was called a Nighthawk. It was a 998 CC. So it was like a thousand CC bike thing went like 175 miles an hour, bro. And yes, I maxed it out. It was nuts. Um, and, uh, yeah, I like motorcycles, but then I got a girlfriend and like grew up and realized that I, my problem was I literally could not, like, I don't know how to have self-control on a motorcycle. It's like my, my one weakness of absolute, I don't know how to control myself when I get on there. I get on there and I just go. I can't remember the last time I went under hundred miles an hour on a motorcycle. So I had to sell it, get rid of it. But yeah, to me, I just look at that and I'm just like, yeah, I'll ride a roller coaster or I'll, I'll just not like, like I, I always not. look at things and I'm like, okay, if I know that this has a potential to be bad for me, like gambling, I've never gambled. Really? Like one time when I was like 19 in Canada or something, mm. something, I was like legal at, at like 18 there or something. So I look at things and I'm like, Hmm, could this be potentially like a problem in my life? And if it could, then I just don't do it hmm. because I just know like, okay, like if I, if I could go back and never have tried a sip of alcohol, I probably wouldn't have. Hmm. Do you actually like alcohol though? I have fun on it. It definitely enhances the, um, it enhances the moment, but I also, so one of my rules, I have a few rules for alcohol. Hmm. So I wanted to find like a balance. Cause I like, there'd be times where I, I'm like, should I drink? Should I not drink? So I wanted to create rules that I could follow and basically like a flow chart of whether or not I'm going to drink right now. So my first rule for alcohol is I can't be using it to deal with any kind of stress or problem in my life. I can't, it can't be a coping mechanism. All right. Two, That's I fair. Using it as a crutch to be social. So if I'm nervous or anxious about talking to people or talking to a girl or whatever, I can't drink alcohol because 
that is again using that as a crutch and i feel like that's weakness that's manifesting in in weakness so the and then the third rule is just moderation so essentially and and never this is kind of like uh one that i try to stick to is just never drinking twice in like two times consecutively like two days in a row right unless i'm like it's like a, a vacation event or something like that so um as long as i stick to those things uh i don't see alcohol becoming becoming a problem for me because that's usually where it becomes a problem for most people. But like, do you actually like the taste of it, bro? Um, that's a that's a good question. Um, after like the, I, I love wine. I like the taste of wine. Um, I like the taste of like Blue Moon. But like, as far as like liquor and stuff like that, I think they all taste like shit. And people just convince themselves that it actually tastes good. And there's going to be somebody that's like, oh, I love, you know, right from this year or whatever but like no dude it tastes like shit and it, and that's the thing i'm like i don't get me wrong I, I can't really talk smack because like my drug of choice is uh you know dr pepper when it comes to drinking right i mean and that's just probably just as bad for you it's full of sugar and crazy bad but um like i'd much rather just drink a sweet sugary drink than alcohol and I'm not gonna, you know, worry about drunk driving or whatever. I mean, not that yeah, you. So I think uh, after, um, I think after 75 hard, I'm probably, I'm gonna. So we're going on this cruise together. Oh yeah, that'll be so much fun. 75 hard. So I think I'm gonna extend 75 hard through the cruise, which is, or to the cruise, which is about roughly 90 days instead of 75. Um, but that was when I was gonna break my no drinking thing because it's gonna be like me, my girl's gonna be on the cruise, so you'll like you'll get to meet her and stuff. And I, I know I'm pumped for that, bro. So. Um, so um, we like we're both doing seventy five hard. We're both going to finish around the same time. So I might look at that and be like, I don't feel like I need to drink because at any any time that I haven't drank, it's like let me see if I can still make a fun situation while being sober. Yeah. So to give you an example of this is like a few weeks ago we were in um we were in Vegas. Me and, and my girl lives in Vegas right now. Oh, interesting. So, yeah, I'll tell you the story. But we met here in Tallahassee. She had to, she was like, oh, I'm leaving to Vegas soon or whatever. Um, so I was in Vegas and I asked this Uber driver, like, what's the best show? And he's like, oh, I've been to all of them. And I'm like, what's the best one? He's like, Absinthe. So um, I go to Absinthe. It's, a, it's like a, a tent, basically. It's really small, maybe like 300 people. It's not like a big, big stage. And um, this is a perfect example of how people would use drinking as a crutch. So the the Uber driver's like, hey, if you're really shy, don't sit in the front row because they make fun of the people in the front row. And I was like, oh, now I have to sit. In yeah, the for real. Uh huh. So um, so I sit in the front row. So we get the VIP front row tickets, whatever. Which is like the stage is it's like a circle in a tent. It's like a tent. So the the stage is like right there, and it's really small. And um, the dude comes out instantly, starts making fun of people. There's these three chicks sitting together. He's like, oh, shit, we got some lesbians in the front row. Oh, my. God. Turns over, and there's these, like, older-looking white dudes with, like, hats on. And he's like, oh, shit, we got some Republicans, too. And they look super pissed because we're sitting oh, next to no. So then he turns to me, and he's like, oh, shit, we got a black guy in the front row. And then uh, he turns to this girl. He's like, he's like look, that lady uh, clenched her purse as soon as she noticed the black dude. And then uh, he, he sees my girl, and my girl's white. So he's oh, like, man. he's like, oh, it's okay, everybody. He's a white chick. So then they get to this point in the show where they bring this Asian girl on stage, and it's like all from the crowd. They sit her down, and they're like, oh, we're gonna do like a lap dance battle. 
and they bring up this like ginger white dude to give this Asian this Asian girl a lap dance. Then he brings me up, and he's like, "All right, you got to beat him." Like if you no, don't, no. he's like, "If you lose to the, to him, um, he's like, I'm taking your black card away." <sighs> so then uh, I so I look at this as this is like how I, I view everything. Like I'm so I guess self aware at this point that I looked at this and I was like, two years ago, this situation would have gave me massive anxiety. Now I'm going, I'm looking at this because I'm dead sober and I have to give this Asian girl lap dance in front of 300 people in Vegas. They're all drunk, right? And my girl's, my girl's there, the Asian girl's uh, boyfriend's there. It's like crazy situation. So I look at this and I'm like, this is a great opportunity. My first instinct is like, this is a great opportunity to overcome anxiety and do something that's extremely uncomfortable and not be the person that's doing it like half-assed because it's uncomfortable. So I looked at that as like, okay, if I, if I would have gone to that show and been drunk, then I would have been robbed of that opportunity for growth, which most people look at like, how is giving an Asian girl laughing <laughs> growth? But the fact that I had to do this in front of all these people, and I've never like given anybody a lap dance, right? So um, I looked at this as like, it had I been drinking, which if, it, if I you know, wasn't doing 75 hard or whatever, I probably would have been drinking because it was a Vegas show. Um, I would have not been able to grow as much in that situation as I did by overcoming that fear. Mm. It's always interesting that you can use everything, even this scenario, as a, a way for growth or, or look at the positive of the situation there. But uh, that's quite, quite the uh, show, JR. Quite the show. How often are you in Vegas? Dude, I got the video. I'll send it to you. Uh, All right. You, you, yeah, you, you, you put it in the show notes. They put it in the show. Oh my gosh. Oh man, if you guys want it, actually, I'm probably not going to link it. I'll be real. <laughs> how how often are you in vegas bro uh well since since my girl moved there uh i've been going like at least once a month once twice a month are you so, are you are you gonna be there in uh next next week yeah i'm going for uh not next week but i'm going for next next weekend's my event um but i'm going for cody's oh that's right thing oh yeah that's october. in uh yeah beginning of october yeah, it's, it works out because all my, my best friend, like I said earlier, my, one of my best friends, Joel Kaplan, he lives in Denver. So I make my way down to Denver, hop, skip, and a jump over to Vegas. Then I see Ravi Abuvala in San Diego. Oh, good old Ravi. So it becomes like this whole, like, it's like my, my uh, little entrepreneurial, like, uh, getaway. Denver, Vegas, and San Diego. That's, that's not a bad getaway. Yeah, dude. I, every time I hang out with any... Every, Every time I make that trip, it's always ROI positive. Oh, for sure. For sure, for sure. Um, I'm going to Vegas next week um, for, well, actually, I'm flying into Vegas next week. I'm actually really not staying there for very long. I'm taking um, Leah, my girlfriend, to the Grand Canyon for her birthday. Oh, nice. So we're flying into Vegas, and then we rented a car, convertible. A helicopter tour for that. You should do that. Oh, dude, do they really? Yeah, they'll fly around that, the Grand Canyon. That's crazy. But then maybe that's what we'll do because we're trying to figure out where to go. Because Grand Canyon is a ways from Vegas. Well, it's like a four-hour drive, bro. Um, but we have a car. We're going to drive down there. My thing is, bro, the Grand Canyon's huge, dude. I didn't realize this. I was watching. We were watching videos on it and like how it was formed and all that stuff. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use this as a transition to get into more of like religious stuff. But um, we were watching like, you know, the documentaries or whatever from National Geographic saying that, you know, it was formed over billions of years and you know, all that jazz, which I don't, I don't know if I believe that or not, but we'll get to that in a second. But it's huge, dude. And like, you can't possibly see all of it in like a day, much less a week, uh, or a week, much less a day. And so uh, we're thinking about going to Antelope Canyon, Horseshoe Bend, 
I'm just not sure yet. But we're going down there for a day and a half. And then uh, we'll drive back to Vegas and uh, spend one night there. And then we're going to fly to a wedding up in Milwaukee. But uh, yo, real yeah. quick, um, can I tell my story real quick before we dive into that? Because I feel like people are going to be like, who the f- is this guy? Yeah. Guys, this is J.R. Rivas. He cusses like a sailor, if you haven't been able to tell yet. And he's one of my best friends. So, J.R., introduce yourself. Yeah, so I'm J.R. I, that's it. All right, let's get on with the interview. That's pretty much it. He's J.R. Um, he's black. So I, <laughs> I'm actually Dominican, but I've just been no, he's like, pretty black. <laughs> I, I'm brown, first of all. Um, but I'm Dominican, but our, like, it's really weird because my mom's like your color. Like, she's like really white. And then my dad's like super dark. Mm. So like somehow like Dominican, it's like sh- it sh- uh, shares the island with Haiti and Haitian is pretty much African. So I think that somewhere in there, I did a DNA test. It said, you want to know something? My DNA test said that I was 48.5% European and then like 37% West African. So I'm actually f-ing white. I'm more white than I am black. It's pretty fun. Now everybody's going to Google me to see like what, what I look now, like. And now, uh, now you can never use the race card ever again. I'm going to be like, but Jay, you're, you're basically white. Dude, when I get pulled over, I just pull out my DNA results and I'm like, all right, this is going to go one of two ways and this is going to determine how. <laughs> um, be so, like, listen, I know I don't look it, but I'm actually white. Here we go. Yeah, I'm like Elizabeth Warren. Um, <laughs> I, I'm more white than she is Native American. <laughs> but anyways so um anyways are you democrat <laughs> let's stay on task okay okay all right, all right. <laughs> i was i know you uh, just don't like trump we're gonna have to get to this but now i'm super curious i never said that okay so i was born a single mother i didn't meet my dad biological dad till I was eight years old and i grew up in all these different places so we lived in vegas we lived in new jersey i was born in new york city um lived in tampa lived in colorado Grew up from 12 to like 20 in Pennsylvania. And uh, at age 16, I discovered entrepreneurship by just selling candy and shit at school. And uh, by 18, I started my first business. And I so I bought a tax office at 18. Long story, but I bought it from a guy who was a CPA. And the book that I read that helped me negotiate that deal was The Art of the Deal by Donald Trump. Oh, no way. Yeah, I still keep that book. Like, I have it. Donald Trump helping black, non black black people since uh, how old? 18? How long ago was that? 2013. Since 2013, Donald Trump be helping non black black people. Yeah, where is it? I, have, I, I know I have that book around here somewhere. Um, oh, it's right here, actually. It's, see, I even keep it on my desk. <laughs> Good old Donald Trump. So, um, so yeah, I um I started that up and by the time I was 21 it had three locations, 53 employees and uh I was miserable. I hated my life. I'd taken on a lot of debt to grow the the company that fast and um I was the youngest person in the organization and I was the owner, which is insane. And uh we had like crazy situations like someone slipped and fell in one of my offices and uh broke her collarbone. Or, or broke her hip, dislocated her collarbone, or broke her collarbone, dis- dislocated her hip, something like that. And uh, I was super scared. Like, I thought, like, this was it. Um, <laughs> I had someone get stabbed to death next door to my busiest office on the busiest day of the year because there was a barbershop immediately next door. In our, it was, like, a very downtown area, so it was, like, all the businesses were next to each other. So it was literally, like, spitting distance from my front door. Someone got stabbed to death, and I watched them carry out the body in the stretcher. Um, I actually interviewed one of my employees on the six o'clock news. And so this is like all this crazy shit. So you're in the hood, bro. 
Oh yeah. So I had three offices. One of them was in a location, my busiest one, actually the location, the average income was $19,000 a year per household. That means like mom, dad, dad, brother, uncle, sister, all crammed in one house, making 19 grand a year combined. So, um, so yeah, like it was, it was scary. Some scary. Plus we, we did this promotion where we gave people like $50 cash if they sent us a referral. Um, so we always had like thousands of dollars cash on hand and everybody knew it because like we were promoing this like we were going hard we would do like door hangers we'd have like all our signage set it so i was like it's just a matter of time before like we get You're, robbed yeah no and, kidding yeah and then i have like someone's blood on my hands because i was trying to make i was trying to get rich over here and now someone came and robbed us for 50 bucks and it's i was just, like, running all these scenarios that would really stress me out so um i ended up selling the i sold two of the the offices to the company it was a franchise and then one to one of my buddies moved to Virginia beach, bought another one, uh, grew that one 10%. And then I sold that one to my neighboring franchisee. Um, because I saw that year. So my office had a 10% increase, but the industry as a whole had flatlined with meaning in-person tax preparation because TurboTax was starting. Was yeah. Starting. TurboTax came on and killed everybody. So, um, they, uh, and it took a while to catch on because one of our, one of the things we noticed is like in 2008, when there was a huge recession, there really wasn't an increase from people going to a tax preparer and like shifting to online. But in 2008 versus now, like the amount of people that are savvy on the internet and stuff like that, it's just completely different ballgame. So, um, I saw like, okay, this, this probably isn't going to last long. So, and before everybody realized the, the industry flatline, it hadn't declined yet. So I was like, before everybody realizes that this is probably not going to go our way, I should try to sell this now. So sold to my neighboring franchisee. And um, Yo, then wait, I was like, are you talking into the microphone? Like, do you have a microphone? Yeah, it's right here. Should oh, I talk closer like this? Yeah, that's so much better. Okay. You don't have to hold it there the whole time, but. I, okay. I'll, I got gotcha. you. So, um, yeah. So then I, I was like, okay, I should try to do something on the internet. So, uh, because like, it seems like that's where, where everything's going. And I started a podcast much like this. And I started interviewing internet entrepreneurs. Uh, that's how I, you guys started? I didn't know yeah, that. I really didn't believe that people were making money on the internet. So I was like, I need to, I need to like find people who claim they are. And basically my, my podcast was just a front for me to, to find out if people were actually making money on the internet. And if they were, find out how. But like, so, what, where was the podcast platform on? Was it like on iTunes? Yeah, like, it was on iTunes. It was on everywhere. Stitcher, all that stuff. And how long ago was it? 2014. Oh, no, so this wasn't long ago. No, I lied. It was 2016. So it's like three years ago. Yeah. So, um, Dang, the, we got started on the same time. That's nice. So the 11th person that I interviewed was Dan Henry. And he was like, oh, no, yeah. That's, so yeah dude, that's, how I found, that's how I found him. And he, hadn't had a, he didn't have a course out yet. And I, the way I found him is even crazier. Um, so Arnie had just started his podcast and his first interview was Dan Henry. So um, no idea how he found him. Probably, I think like a Facebook group or something. And uh, so I was listening. I was up late at night listening to podcast interviews, trying to find guests for my interview, for my show. And I heard Dan on Arnie's and I was like, oh, I should hit this guy up. So I hit him up and he was like, sure. So um, yeah, at the time he's like, yeah, I'm coming out with this course soon. Um, do you like, do you want to get in on it? Cause I started asking him a bunch of questions about Facebook ads. So, um, yeah, I got in and I, I didn't make any money for like six months and I was living off of like my savings and, and I moved back home with my mom. And so kind of think of the context of this, like I was 22 at this point and I had like on people who went to college for like my entire life. And I was like, Oh, I'm going to build this business and all this stuff. 
And I sold the business, but I didn't make a ton of money because I financed the person that I sold it to. Right. So I was living off like savings. I moved back with my mom from Virginia Beach back to Pennsylvania. So this is around the time all my friends from high school, they're, they're starting to like graduate. Get out of college so, now. Right. And now I'm like living back with my mom. So it's kind of like, like I, I could just like, they wouldn't, obviously like no one called me out on this, but they would, I could sense the judgment when I'd hang out with them. For sure. Plus I was like driving Uber. I started driving Uber. I started going to um, estate sales and buying like dead people and selling it on Amazon and eBay. Oh my God. So, um, yeah. So I was like, I was trying to do anything to not have to get a job. And so then I landed up landing my first client with my agency, a uh, chiropractor. And uh, 45 days later, I was doing uh, $10,000 a month. Then I started, I would, I would, I would uh, blog my results, like on, just on Facebook, not like an actual blog. I would just post anytime I got a client, the results we'd get the clients. And this whole like social media marketing agency model was very new. Like Ty Lopez yeah. didn't have a course on it. The yeah. only two people was Dan Henry and Billy Jean at the time. So um, then... I started to, uh, so I started to post my results and everybody would, would hit me up like, Oh, how are you doing this? How are you doing this? So I started to do like one-on-one -on -one calls with people and I would just show them like for like an hour, they'd pay me like a hundred bucks. Then the next person I'd do like 150 bucks for an hour. Then the next person I'd do like 200 bucks an hour. And I just kept increasing it. And I realized I was telling everybody the same stuff. So then I was like, okay, what's the next natural progression? Like I should definitely make like a program out of this. So I launched a program. Um, so this was January. Um, so December 20, the 16 um, was when like all, all this really like blew up. Then January I launched the program and did like 35 K with the program first month. And I was still living with my mom. And I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, so I lived with her maybe like four months at that time, just while I like figured this shit out. Right. Then I, um, I was like, okay, this seems to be working. So I moved out of my mom's house and I moved to Florida because <laughs> I was like, I'm not trying to stay in, in the cold uh, Pennsylvania. Oh, that's it, right. Because you were in Pennsylvania. Yeah, I'd moved back to Pennsylvania. That's nuts, bro. And you're in Tallahassee now? Yeah. Did you guys get hit with Dorian at all? Nah, it was super sunny the whole time. That's funny. Did yeah. I, I haven't followed it. I just know it wrecked the Bahamas, bro. Yeah. Dude, that's I, really sad because we're going there. I know. That's why I'm thinking like, is Coco Bay, is that gone? Is that the private island that's supposed to hang out on? Is that all gone? Dude, I realized gone? how selfish I was when my first thought was like, damn, is everything going to be okay for the cruise? Man. And, like, and I know like that sounds really but I know most people wouldn't admit to thinking that way. But the difference is as soon as I had that thought, I was aware. Yeah. And I was like, wow, this is really up. I should focus on how I can help and contribute to the people that are there. Well, uh, do you know what lead funnel, uh, do you know Russell's, Russell Brunson's new, uh, program or the little offer coming out that came out? Yeah. Like on Monday it's called lead funnels. Mm -mm. It's this little, it's this little, uh, it's a $7 offer. Like just, I don't know, something that, that we're promoting. I got drafted to an affiliate competition on ClickFunnels, like ClickFunnels in the affiliate group or whatever. So we're going to donate a bunch of money, like any money that we make from that, or we're going to do a promotion for the next two weeks with it. We're going to donate that all to the Bahamas and Dorian. To, to help people that because it's wrecked down there man it sucks yeah uh shout out to grant cardone i saw he did a thing for like a day or two where anything that you bought in the 10x store oh really um went to the bahana bahamas and it was like 90 percent off or whatever oh this shit's always 90 percent off but always it's always like save 90 percent. actually that's a funny story if anybody's gonna uh, planning on going to 10x growth con don't buy a ticket online especially if you're gonna buy a vip call them i literally last year called him up and I was like, yo, I'd like a VIP ticket. And they're like, well, it's normally $5,000, but you can get it for $2,500, right? Like on their website. And I was like, yeah, that's not enough. Like I, I want more off. 
And we negotiated back and forth for like three days or so. Like I just hung up the phone. I was like, nope, not cheap enough. I literally got a, uh, a VIP ticket for a thousand bucks, $997. That's sick. Yeah, bro. I was like, come on. So you can negotiate them down. They just want your money. And I'm like, all right, cool. But what do you think? What do you think of Grant Cardone? Dude, I used to hate him, but I realized the reason I hate him was because I was a pussy. So he made me feel uncomfortable. So then once I, once I really like worked on my mindset, I was like, dude, Grant Cardone's awesome. He's out there crushing it. Like he's, he's getting it. And he does not accept any weakness from himself or the people around him. So I love the guy and I, I love all his messages. Do you, do you think he's self-obsessed? Self-obsessed, probably. Yeah. But I mean, so I'm all about what I call the net negative, the net positive. So at the end of the day, everything has a, a negative and a positive. So at the, I look at it as like an equation, like is what this person is, what they're doing a net positive for humanity? Like regardless of how, like what their motives are or why they're doing things or whatever. So I feel like even if Grant Cardone is just out to literally be just for himself, at the end of the day, I think what he does helps a lot of people. So for humanity, that's a net positive. Mm. I, I feel that. I think, yeah, man, I have some interesting thoughts on Grant. Have you met him? Nah, but his Scientology weirds Bro, me. Bro, <laughs> that's some craziness, man. Okay, so like two days ago, I, I, I want to read this actually. This was like two or three days ago. He posted this um, um, uh, thing on Snapchat or on Instagram. It was in his stories. And it was like this, like basically this thing to the haters. And it's, it's pretty long, but it's like uh, to the haters. And he goes in and is like, you know, you judge me because, you know, you're not confident. Uh, the only reason that you, you know, are mad at me is because you're, you know, afraid to do it yourself, yada, yada, yada. Um, and like just basically praises himself and how great he is the entire thing. And obviously, I mean, it's very, very controversial. But the one thing that I'm going to give to Grant Cardone is that Grant Cardone knows how to leverage every part of everything for his advantage. You know what I mean? Like haters, lovers. I mean, he's like, um, I mean, he's a lot like Trump. I know he loves Trump. But like, he's a lot like that in the sense of like, very arrogant, very full of himself. But I, I mean, he's very, very brilliant. And I think that if you can look past the negative, you can learn a lot from the dude. You know what I mean? Um, and I think that more people need to do that. I don't like a lot of his sales methods, but I still own all of his sales stuff. And, you know, I learned from it or whatnot. Um, and his event, were you at 10? You weren't at 10X Growth Con last no, year. That was, that was still when I was a Grant Cardone hater. You were, oh, wow. So this is recently. I was there. Bro. Uh, it was my birthday, dude. And um, I, that event, I made a ton of money at that event. I, I'll give it to him. I've never seen anybody fill up at a stadium like that. Like it wasn't full like he claims it was, but there's a lot of mm -hmm. freaking people there, bro. Yeah, I actually just bought his book, um, 10X. I haven't looked into any of his training, any of his stuff, but I just got 10X rule. Yeah. Ten, uh, his, his Cardone U. Like it's a man. He's got some good stuff for on. Dude, I feel sure. like though I I, so I haven't read the 10x rule, but I I kind of I guess can draw a conclusion somewhat of what it's about. So I feel like part of that message people uh, misinterpret it or they take it in a very in a way that's like harmful to their mindset. Because like I had a guy one time on the phone, and I'm 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 like it was a sales call, and uh, I'm like okay, so like what what's your goal in the next year or whatever? He's like, well, you know, I I. Uh, I listen to Grant Cardone. So my, my goal is a hundred thousand. So I need to like, I need to shoot for a million dollars. So my goal is a million dollars in the next year. So I'm like, okay, so what you're telling me is you're right now you're at zero and you want to be in the top 1% of the 1% in the next one year months. And he's like, 
okay, you're right. <laughs> so I'm like, I get like, I get that. I get that philosophy. Cause I, I say that too. Like, okay, if you want to get, you know, 10 clients, you need to do the things that you would do if you wanted to get a hundred clients. And that, if- and that's the thing. That's the message. It's not that you necessarily have to go and literally 10 X everything, but it's that you have to like, you have to 10 X your effort. You have to like take things seriously. Like if you're going, a lot of people, like, let's say they want to start an agency. They're like, how can I sign one client? Right. It's not how you look at it. You go, okay, how about, how would I go out and get 10 clients? What are the actions that I would have to do if I was going to do that? And then I'm probably going to get one or two or three. But like, if you change the question, you change the equation of, you know, how do I make a thousand dollars to how do I make 10,000 or, you know, going back to this guy, how do I make a hundred thousand dollars? How would I go about doing that? It's not, you know, you have to 10 extra life in the next 12 months, but it's like, okay, for the next 12 months, if I approached my life, like I wanted to make $100,000, what would I do? And chances yeah. are you would end up at 10,000. So perfect. A perfect example of that is like, okay, let's say I want to make a hundred thousand dollars. Right. But you're, you're, you're like, I want to build a, a business that could sustain, that could reach a million dollars. But my goal right now is a hundred thousand. One of the, the differences is up front, you would probably hire earlier than if you just wanted to make a hundred thousand dollars because right. I could, you could hire, you know, two or three V you could probably run a hundred thousand dollars your business by yourself. No problem. No. Yeah. But, no issue. Yeah. But if you, if you know, like, okay, I'm going to try to shoot for a million. So I'm going to build the infrastructure for that on the way, then you'll have, you'll hire a VA to start doing outreach. You'll hire, you'll uh, hire a VA to start automating certain things. You'll buy, invest in automation tools. And that's what we did with, that's what we did with my agency that I just sold. Like literally from day one, we knew like the goal is to sell it, right? Not as fast as I did, but like day one, we, we hired a project manager right? And then like the second we started having to do things on our own, like we just hired out for it. And like month three, we made like 60 grand, right? And it was like, you wouldn't be able to sustain that if you were the one doing all the work. Right. Since like from day one, we hired out a project manager. Like I literally was like, all right, we made, I was like $63,000 or something like that. I was like, okay, next, like I can just keep doing exactly what I'm doing. Like the next month, the next month, because we're hiring and things like, cause you're setting things up for success. And that's what I think that's the essence of the 10x rule is like you've got to adjust your the question, you got to adjust the way that you look at things. Right. Because if you want to get 10 clients, then you might, you, you'll start to think if you're like, okay, I want 10 clients, but you're doing the actions for 100 clients, you'd be like, okay, well, let me start a, a podcast and start interviewing like my ideal clients. Where, whereas if you just wanted 10, that's not something you would think of. Right. Okay. Let me start a Facebook group. Let me start running Facebook ads. Let me do LinkedIn outreach too and Instagram outreach. And Facebook outreach and let's see if we can invest in some PPC or whatever. Versus if you just want 10 clients, then you'd, you'd probably be like, okay, what's the one method that's going to get me to 10 clients and it take right. a lot longer. Right. I mean, because like, oh my God. And, and guys, I, I, one of the things that I've, I've found on my journey to success is that like once something clicks, it becomes exponentially easier to duplicate and like go. And so like every roadblock that I've looked at and like, you know, when I tried to get my first client, it was like this monumental roadblock that I didn't think I could get past. And then I signed my first client and like in a couple months, I had like 10. Right. And then every single time where I've like hit something or something's gotten in the way, as soon as I figured it out, it became super, super easy. Right. And so we spend so much of our time trying to like focus on the wrong things because we're worried that it's not, you know, like, oh man, you know, if it's taking me this long to get one client, maybe I, maybe I shouldn't be doing this anymore because that's not scalable or that's not this or, you know, but where it's just like, if you just would get the result, then it would make sense to you and you could continue and you're going to be able to duplicate that result so much easier. I, I, I don't know. I think people... Have you read uh, Relentless by Tim Grover? Uh-uh. 
I have the book. Someone sent it to me. It didn't look that good. Dude, that's one of my favorite books ever. Is it? Yeah. So one of the things he says is like that high performance people like Michael Jordan, they don't think things like, oh, what if I do all this work and it doesn't work? Or uh, they don't, they don't. So Michael Jordan decides I want an NBA championship. Anything between where he is now and that NBA championship is essentially irrelevant. So right. no matter it's not if it's a lot of work, if it's a little work, if you got to like do this crazy ice bath thing, like it doesn't matter. It's just he's only fixated on that goal. So I feel like when people start to think like that, you're worrying too much on the your feelings and your mode. And that's one of the things too, like I've, I've done in the last year is really the last six months is remove the emotion from business, because I think that so many people try to find fulfillment in their business that they that that makes them so emotional about every decision. Whereas yeah. if you just looked at it and you're like, okay, what's my goal right now? I want a seven figure business. Okay, what's the best path to do that? And just do that. And don't worry about like, oh, well, what if I put all this time in and it doesn't work? Just get fixated on the goal. And then like my philosophy is like, I'll find my fulfillment elsewhere. I'll find my fulfillment in like spirituality, in my relationship and whatever. But my business ex- exists to serve people and make me money. And that's it. Before, for, I, I agree for most people. I think there are exceptions to that though. Like I, I think the exception is like, okay, if your business, if you're literally someone who hates sitting down and your business is sitting down all day on the computer, then that's probably not for you. However, if it matches up with your character, because this is a thing that held me back is like uh, shiny object syndrome. I'd always pivot like, oh, maybe I should, I should do Shopify instead. Or maybe I should do like ticket drop shipping, or maybe I should do an agency with this niche or agency with that niche or sell that info product, or maybe I should just be an affiliate marketer or whatever, because I was looking for fulfillment in my business and I wanted my identity to be, and I wanted my business to be my identity. Yes. I, that is no longer the case for me. And, and, and I agree with you a hundred percent that for most people, your business should not be your identity. And I don't, I mean, for anybody, your business should not be your identity. My identity is in God. I think a lot of people find their identity within, right? And, and you should. Your identity should not take place for an external factor on this earth. However, that being said, like there are some people out there and for most people listening, this is not them, but there are some people out there that are super, super, super passionate about one thing. They know what they want to do with their life. They don't struggle with shiny object syndrome because they're like, no, this is what I'm going to do. And they're going to have a whole lot more fulfillment doing that thing than even if they're making, let's say they make $100,000 a year versus a million dollars a year, they're going to make be way, way happier doing what they love at that $100,000 a year mark than making a million bucks. Yeah. Like exception to the rule, but there are people out there that do that. Yeah, I totally agree. But anybody that I, that I talk to, it's like, why'd you start an agency? Oh, I, I thought it was a good opportunity. At yeah, the time. No, no, nobody, I don't, I've never met one single person that's like, I just love agency work. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it's kind of, uh, ugh. Agency work can be... Dude, if you read uh, Andre Agassi's biography, autobiography, it's like, I'd probably listen to it. It's like 16 hours on audio. Oh my um, gosh. Dude, he says many times throughout that book, he hated tennis his entire life. And he, his dad forced him to play tennis from the time he was like six years old. He's like, the way that my dad decided what house we were going to buy is he'd walk through the house to the backyard, measure it. If it wasn't big enough for a tennis court, they left. So his dad forced him to play tennis and he was able to get incredible. That's why I don't, I don't really subscribe to you have to be super passionate to be successful. Andre Agassi hated tennis his entire life, still hates tennis, but yet one of the greatest tennis players, if not the greatest of all time. So how is that? Like, how is that possible? And that, that's why anyone, anybody who thinks that 
read that, but he says it like in the first 10 pages, like I hated tennis my whole life. And you're just like, and then he goes through the whole story of how like people would show up at his house and he's like seven years old, grown ass men to like face him in tennis. They just like knock on his door. And I think he lived in Vegas and um, he'd be facing these grown men. Like he'd come home from school and literally like he'd have to face grown men until he was exhausted every day. <laughs> it's a crazy story. It's ridiculous, man. I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't think people should have to live that way, but that's crazy. That's crazy. How, how do you, how do you balance work life? Hmm. So like, do you, do you, do you have hobbies and stuff outside of work now? Yeah, so I do uh, mixed martial arts. I do uh, yoga a couple times a week. I do lift weights a couple times a week. I do something active every day, um, whether it's just a walk or whatever, even when I'm not on 75 hard. So the way that I, I, so here's kind of how, how I balance all this stuff. I think that health is very important. So it's a yeah. top priority. So I make sure that I do that every day. Um, work is a, is a top priority. And then my relationship is a top priority. So I give one hour usually to my relationship. Now, if I can't do that, my girl completely understands that because I show up all the time. Like I, I, I show up on a consistent basis. So she knows that when I can't do that, it's because I genuinely need to do something else because right. yeah, there's just some, like something else that's more important right now. So I uh, take an hour or two a day for health and fitness um, between like a walk and, and I, by an hour or two, I mean like the time it takes you to drive there, the time it takes you to shower after and do the workout, it's going to be about two hours. Yeah. So I'll do that. Um, I just make sure I schedule it in. And at the beginning of the week, I kind of look at my week and I'm like, okay, how many workouts do I want to do and what are they going to be? So how many times do I want to do MMA? How many times do I want to do yoga? How many times do I want to lift weights? So usually it'll come down to, uh, I lift weights like three days a week. Um, I'll do MMA like one or two days a week and then I'll do yoga one day or I'll do one day of MMA and one day of, of walking or whatever. But do you like, like doing that? Dude, I, it's so ingrained in my lifestyle that I don't even, like that's the thing. See, I, re, I removed the, do I like doing this from all the things that I know? Because my, so my goal in life, my ultimate goal, and I, this is kind of carries over to my relationship too. My ultimate goal for my life is to meet the best version of myself one day. My goal for my relationship is for us to meet the best versions of each other one day. So I don't, I know that the, and I, I have a persona essentially, it's called Nine Figure JR. So one of the things that I, I always ask myself is like, what would Nine Figure JR do? Or am I being congruent with what Nine Figure JR would be doing? And my, my and this is why, and I want to get into relationships because when I asked about like, what should I talk about? Relationships was a big one. But this is why I give my girl full permission to if she ever notices that my behavior is incongruent with the nine-figure version of myself, which has nothing to do with money, and I'll explain that, then yeah. I want her to call it out. So the, what I mean by that is the nine-vision, for me to make nine figures, the person that I have to become is the best version of myself. But okay, but hold on though. What defines best version, bro? Like that's, per so, that's pretty, that's pretty, uh, I feel like that's pretty, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like relative. Right. So for me, the best version of myself is in all aspects of life. So the, what is the best possible vision that I have for my relationship? That is the best version of that. What's the best vision that I have for my business? That's, that's that. What's the, but, the, but, but how do you define best? Because like, here's the thing, bro. Like the best version of like, for me, the best version of myself, and I'm going to use best in once again, relatively, right? 
I don't necessarily think that the best version of Josh owns a you know hundred million dollar company. Could it potentially? Yeah, but I don't know if it does or not for me. Right? right. Like the best version of your life could be, and I'm not saying it is, but like the best version of your life could be you're a seven figure earner and you've got six kids at home and you're teaching them how to you know really go out and change the world and be leaders and whatever. Or so like best being relative, like you're choosing that, right? Like you're the one that determines what best is. Right. So essentially I feel like most people feel like they have to go out and find themselves. Like, oh, I got to find myself. I got to go do like ayahuasca in the Brazilian jungle with a shaman to discover who I am and what I want. Or I got to go like hundred percent, like trip on LSD in India or whatever, like Steve Jobs did. I believe, and I, I heard Andy Frisella put this so well one time. He's like, did, it's much, much better to, rather than try to find yourself, to determine who you want to be and set out on a path to become that. And that, and, and the journey is in finding that person. So for me, when I think of like the person that I want to be, I know that in order for me, like the, the shit that I'll have to conquer internally and the, the level of leadership that I'll have to attain is congruent with someone who has a nine-figure business. So for me, having a nine-figure business or nine-figure net worth is... I have to overcome all the like darkness and all the shadows and all the that I like is uncomfortable. And I have to become better. I have to grow into a better leader and grow into a better communicator in order to do that. So the superhero version of myself, like when I think of like, okay, what's the ultimate life that I could have? That is what comes to mind. So that's the version of myself that I'm chasing. So that's the best version of myself. So the way that I quantify that in like my relationship is like, we sit down and I'm like, okay, well, what would the best version of this relationship look like the happiest version with the most communication that experiences the most love. So we get very clear on that. And then that becomes like the thing that we strive for. So when it comes to like the best version of my body, I'm like, okay, what, what, what stats would that be? Okay. That's probably like a 315 bench for six reps. That's probably 6% body fat at my height. I'd probably be around 176 pounds. So now I set out to that. So I know that I have a clear version, a clear vision of in every aspect of my life, what that best looks like. Cause I mean, genetic for bodies easy. Cause genetically you can only get to a certain point. So, so with, with this though, like a nine figure human being, that's a, I mean, you gotta be pretty darn disciplined, right? right. Like you've exactly. gotta be so discipline is huge, right? It has very little to do, as you said, like it's, it's not a money thing at all at that point. Right. Like it's only a money issue until like six figures, maybe seven, right? Um, but it's, it's a mindset issue. It's a discipline issue. But like, I look at like, I've met a couple of people with a hundred million net worth plus, met two billionaires in my life, right? Like a lot of what happens there, like they don't have a relationship with their family or they, they live a life where work slash everything else comes first or not even comes first. There's limited amount of time to spend with family, which... Mm-hmm. isn't necessarily a bad thing, right? But my question is, is that what your girlfriend wants? Is she okay with having a... Li- because like I look at I look at Russell and maybe Russell's a bad example, but let's go down this rabbit hole. Russell, I feel like, did a, has done a really good job of pivoting. For a while there, that dude was nonstop. He was insanely busy all the time. Didn't get to spend the time with his wife and kids hardly at all for a minute there. Like really, really put some strain on things. Now he's pivoted. He's, you know, got the company to where it's at. 
He doesn't run the operations. He can kind of do whatever he wants. He's got his penthouse, like whatever. So he shifted and pivoted. And now he has more time to spend with his family, which I imagine is what he wants. But for you, like, does nine figure version JR have a family, have a relationship with you know, his wife where they're hanging out consistently, where they're traveling, where they're doing? Or are you like, yo, I love my wife or you know, person I'm in a relationship with. I love my family. But like, I'm like 80% business, 20% family. Mind you, I'm not saying that's inherently a bad thing. I'm not saying that like you can't be like that it makes you a bad person, but like how do you define the balance of a nine-figure person when it comes to like life and relationships and religion and priority and like all that? Like how do you know what that nine-figure person looks like? So nine-figure JR has it all. So nine-figure JR has the relationship that is ideal, the relationship that everyone wants, has the body that everyone wants, has the business that everyone wants. So I know that so this is kind of interesting because me and my girl we talk about this all the time so we we listened to um i i showed her one of the sam ovens videos where he's talking about it's like his quantum mastermind he's talking about his schedule and he's like oh at like nine o'clock or whatever i've seen that one yeah 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 i i hang out with my wife for an hour or whatever so we were listening to this in the car and i looked at her and i was like would you be okay if that was my schedule and she was like absolutely the not so this is something that we are like, we, we talk about this stuff on a consistent basis. And I study relationships the same way I study businesses. So the same way, like 50% of relationships, uh, and in, in, in divorce, 50% of marriages end in divorce, 90% of businesses fail. So I know that most people get married. They never read one relationship book or spend time talking to one, talking to one divorced couple about what happened or, or spend time talking to a couple that's been married for 40 years. Um, so I study this the same way. So the question was like, would she be okay with that? No, probably not. But my goal is, is to show up in every area of, of my life. So, so a good example of this is Kobe Bryant. So the other day I watched Kobe's interview on uh, Patrick but David's uh, YouTube channel. So Kobe talks about like, Patrick asked him like, how do you have work-life balance when, you're in the, when you were in the NBA, you were spending nine months away from your wife and kids. So he's like, well, first of all, my wife is what I am on the basketball court at home. And I was like, second of all, he's like, my wife understands and that I'm setting the example for our daughters that this is the level of obsession, attention to detail and determination that it takes to be successful. So this is a huge controversial thing that me and my girl have been having this conversation for like a week now. You ever try to sell someone something and they're like, oh, um, like a course or a event or whatever. And they're like, Oh, my wife wouldn't feel comfortable with me investing in, in this right now. Or my, I gotta, I gotta ask my wife. I feel like if you're, if you have to ask your wife before and she can legitimately like, okay, I understand consulting your wife and like letting her know, this is what I'm, I'm thinking, uh, you know, what, what I'm going to do, but asking your wife, if you have to ask your wife to make a financial decision for your family, I feel that you have failed as a man. Because that means that you have been so inconsistent in your behavior and you've let her down so many times and you you fail at so many commitments that she does not trust you to make the right decision for your family at that point in time. Because I know for 100% fact with my girl that I've never said I was going to do something and didn't do it. I've never let her down not once on a commitment that I made. So if it ever comes down to it, I'm like, babe, this is our last 20 grand, but I really need to invest in this. She's going to look at me and she's going to be like, well, you consistent you've never let me down in the past so let's do it yeah. so i like when it comes to and this is and then and then like i'll get feedback from 
people who've been married and they've been demasculated for 20 years now. And they'd be like, oh, well, you like, wait till you're married. You like, you, it'll change and wait till you have kids and all this shit. And like, no motherfucker, you weren't having these conversations when you were my age. And then you went through and you've broken all these commitments. So now your wife doesn't trust you because you bought 16 different courses that you didn't do with them. So I feel like when it comes to number one, picking your life partners, one is it probably the most important decision you'll ever make because you can always start a new business. You can always start like, and of course you can always get a new life partner, but that I feel like for entrepreneurs, especially that is an, a doubly important decision because who you decide to be with ultimately is like, like Sam Oven says, you can't have complexity in your personal life and in your business. Your personal life has to be somewhat simple so that you can keep that mental energy and that mental space for your business. So another thing that I, that I, I talked to my girl about is like on mother's day, this past year I was in an event. It was like this NLP event in Dallas. And this guy was like, Oh, um, it was a two day event. Sunday was mother's day and the second day of the event. And the guy was like, Oh, I'm probably not going to be able to make it tomorrow. Cause I, I got to spend like, my wife's going to be really pissed if I like, you know, try to be here for mother's day. So I looked at, I, I looked at that and I, I kind of stepped back and I'm like, okay, it doesn't sound like what he wants to do is actually hang out with his wife on Mother's Day because he feels like this event is probably the best thing for his and his, him and his family in five years. But he is going to spend time with his wife and family out of guilt. And I think that's a very, very bad place to be because when you do that, you end up resenting them because when you're not where you want to, when, you, when you're not where you want to be, you look at it as like, oh, well, if I had more time to spend on my business and stuff, I would be where I, where I want to be. So I looked at that and I was like, wow, that's a huge failure on his part because of the fact that he's not shown up. Cause I know for a fact, like if I show up in my relationship the same way that I show up in my business. So if I ever need to like hit my girl up and say, Hey babe, you know, I know your birthday's coming up, but on that day, I really feel like there's this event that is going to be better for us in five years. She'd be like, all right, cool. No problem. Because I show up every other, she's like, you show up 364 other fucking days of the year. What's one day that you're not showing up. So that you're, that you're that not even not showing up because I'm doing what's best for the tribe in five or 10 years from now. So I feel like a lot of people don't understand that because I, I've, I've, I had a guy like a couple of weeks ago, he's like, Hey man, I'd love to go to your event, but like my wife is taking the kids that week, whatever. And I really just, I, I hate being looked at as like someone who, um, you know, isn't a good father because I'm always away from my kids. And I was like, number one, that's a huge failure on your part. Because of the fact you're letting your opinion of your kids and your wife get away from you being able to provide for them. And I know this guy personally, not, not per, I never met him, but I remember I, I, I tried to sell him something in like January. It was like 3,500 bucks and he didn't have a thousand dollars to his name. He was like, he literally was like, wait till I get my income tax return. So I was like, you are, you don't have, you didn't, in January, you didn't have a thousand dollars to your name, but yet you're letting your wife and kids opinion of you get in the way of providing for them. And, and it's not like you today or a year ago, you up like 15 years ago, because that means that you haven't been consistent in your commitments to where you can look at your wife and say, Hey, I'm going to spend this money and go to this event on this weekend, because I know that this is what's best for us in five years. Cause if you tell her that she's not going to believe you because you've broken so many commitments in the past. So yeah. when it, when it comes to this relationship, I just feel like so many people and the reason why I, so it's like, Oh, JR, you're not even married and you're 25. What gives you the, the right to talk about this? Yeah, JR. I have so many more perspectives on relationships. Most people that are married have one perspective on their relation, on a relationship, their own. And it's been the same one for 20 years. I have studied this. I've read relationships book, books. I've talked to people who have, anytime I meet someone who's been divorced, 
that instantly becomes a topic of conversation because I want to know why, what went wrong? What would you have done differently? I've talked to people who've been in business with their wife for 20 years successfully, and then it tore them apart. And I dove into why that happened. I've talked to people who've been married for 40 years and find out what made it work. I found out, I've talked to people who've been married for one year and then broke up. I've talked to people who've committed adultery and why. And like, so I spend more time thinking about this, learning about this. So you can't tell me that just because I'm not married, that I'm, I don't know anything about what it's right. like to be in a relationship or be in a, or, or run a family. No, I totally get that. And I agree with you. And I, I, I also agree a hundred percent that choosing a life partner, especially as an entrepreneur makes things like 10 times harder too. like, like you've really got to pick someone that understands you. And like, you've really got to pick someone that's going to give you the flexibility that you need. I mean, I talk, I've talked to several people about this on the podcast, actually, of just like, that balance of of everything um and and figuring out what's going to work and so i 100% agree um with the fact that like who you pick and the expectations that are set and how you go about doing that is super important um kind of backing up though so one of the things that you said a while ago kind of on this topic about the nine figure version of jr so like nine figure version of jr has the body the life the business the relationship that everybody wants, right? Like your dream goal uh, of all of those things. And so like, my question then is like, okay, then what? Because so, like, be, because like, it, Russell Brunson is what, 37, 30, I don't know. He's like under 40, maybe, I don't know. He's around 40 years old. Like he made a hundred million bucks. So like nine figure, I mean, it, it's, it's realistic to assume that you could make a hundred million bucks by the time you're like 40, if you're committed, right? Like even 50. You still got like 30 years to live. So like, right. you know, I look at like the, the Andy Frizzellas of the world who loaded rich or the, you know, the, even the Grand Cardones of the world or the Ed Milets of the world or whatever who have made a ton of money. But I'm like, the best version of yourself. Cool. But like, if the best version of yourself, and, this, and I'm, not, I'm not saying you're wrong or you're right. I don't know the answer. And that's why I'm asking your thoughts on it. Like, for me, I'm like, okay, if I achieved... I was amazingly physically fit. I had an amazing relationship with my wife. I had a, a, an eight or nine figure business that was awesome. I had work-life balance. I could travel. I could do or whatever. And I achieved that by 50 or I achieved that by 60 or 45 or whatever it was. It, is that what we're after in life? Like, is that the ultimate goal? And, and, and obviously, I mean, we're probably, that'll probably take us into like a religion thing, but like, then what? Like after you've achieved that point or whatever, is it about bringing as many people with you? Is it about doing more? Like what is it for you then after that point? So once I get to that point, I'll choose a new goal, first of all. But I feel like that's, it's somewhat of a lifelong pursuit because you're, you're, I'm not only asking to be like the top 1% of people that have ever lived. It's like the top 1% of the 1%. Like look at, okay, Jeff Bezos couldn't keep his marriage together. So I'm at, essentially, I'm asking to do something. 1% of people, like the top 1% of the United States make like $400,000 a year, right? That's so insane. that's no, it's like the top 1% of the world, isn't it? Right. Top 1% of the world is like yeah, some, 600 or something. Yeah. Right. So I'm asking to be not essentially like the top 1% in every category, the top 1% of marriages, the top 1% of, of in physical fitness, the top 1% in mental health and spirituality, the top 1% in, in my relationship, the one top 1% fathers. So these are all things that most people don't ever even achieve one of these things. And I'm, I'm striving for all of them. So I, I know this is not going to be a, a thing that I can achieve by 40 or 50. The, the thing is like 
in order to do each one of these things, like it's for some people, it takes some like Warren Buffett didn't become a billionaire to like what 70 or 80 or whatever. I'll look it so up. I, I, it's going to be, a, I know it's going to be a lifelong pursuit to become the best version in all these different areas. Plus the, that best version threshold. Once I get there, I'm going to see, like, I strongly believe if I do, if, and when I do get to that hundred million dollar net worth, I'll be like, well, shit, I'm just getting started. And I'm really not even, I'm like 20% of the best version of myself. And I didn't even know. It's like, I didn't even know like what, what, what was out there. So essentially Warren Buffett, just side note, Warren Buffett became a billionaire in his fifties. Okay. So I, I see that to be like a moving target as well, because the more, you know, the more, you know, you don't know. So I, 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 and I, this is like, I always believe like the, the love and trust and communication you experience in relationship, there's not a cap on that. It can always get better. It can always improve. So one of the things for me is like event, like to be the best version of myself, it's going to be a lot of contribution to others as well, because I can't get to, you know, a hundred million dollar net worth and be like, well, I didn't help anybody. And that's not the best version of me. So I know you've spent time with the monks, right? Mm Mm-hmm. You learned a lot from them. I've talked to you about it. I think on our last podcast interview that we did um, over on your side of things, like we talked about that a little bit. I feel like the monks and being a monk is 100% completely opposite of what you've just described, which is fine, right? Believe me, I'm after success and fame too. Like, but what's the difference? And like, are they not successful? Like, have they not achieved the best version of their life? Yeah. So also the best version of, of yourself is completely like up to you. Like, what does that look like for you? Like I said, you have to decide like who you want to be and what you want these areas to look like. So my philosophy on that is like, it's a balance. So monk is being a monk is like very Eastern philosophies. And then Western philosophies is more like capitalism. If you go either in either way too far, your life goes out of balance. Cause if you, if you go way too far into like the monks philosophies, you will pretty much lose motivation because you learn to be content and happy in the present moment. And the, the goal of monks, so the monks have goals. Their goals are to end suffering amongst humanity. So, but they also believe that you can't give from an empty cup, right? So the, the monks invest as much time and effort as you and I spend in like business and relationships and all this stuff in themselves, in developing themselves and, and healing and curing suffering within themselves so that they can then bring that practice to other people. So essentially, and they, it's, and it, I don't even like saying it like that because the monks don't have a goal of like, all right, we're going to try to convert this many people to Buddhism this year. And they encourage you to like explore other religions and stuff like that. So it is kind of opposite, but when it comes to like the spirituality side of like my goals in, in that realm, my spiritual goals align very well, very well with the monks, which is like be present in the moment. Um, learn how to, a lot of it is learning how to deal with suffering. And one of the things that I love that the monks have taught me is like suffering, you shouldn't look at suffering as something that you want to get rid of. Like you're like, oh, I'm suffering. Like I can't wait to not be suffering. I can't wait to not be uncomfortable. You have to learn to be able to sit with suffering, observe it from a third party perspective and know that like this is a normal thing and just let it come and go as it needs to. So when it comes to the monk philosophies, that is like the, the, it's like the spiritual um, practices that I've chosen to adopt, like meditation and being present and practicing loving speech and practicing loving communication and loving, they call it um, deep listening and stuff like that. So there, there is aspects 
what there is a balance because I, I ask this question to the, the I love going to the monastery because I can ask monks these questions. But I say, hey, what's the difference between like monks are all about being now in the present moment. So I'm like, how do you ever set goals if you're always worried about the present moment? And what they told me was like, setting goals is not a bad thing, but setting goals has to be anchored in the present moment. So if you're setting, if you're constantly living in like, okay, I can't wait to, I can't wait to reach this goal. I can't wait to reach this goal. You're letting go. You're not sitting in the present moment. Like you're not here now. Your, your mind is always in the future or in the past. So they kind of teach you like, set these goals, but still be like mindful of like your, they always go back to your breath, be mindful of your breath, be mindful of the present moment while you're setting these goals. And then after you've set these goals, just worry about what it takes right here, right now to reach those. What do you, what do you think, or or how do I say this? Um, Do you think there's different truths for different people in the sense of, um, like goal setting, for example, the monks are all about like being in the present moment, right? And which I think is a great, a great thing. But like, also, like some people are just different, right? Like you look at the Elon Musk of the world, or the Gary Vaynerchuk's of the world, like they live by a totally different set of rules or like, you know, concepts, or whatever than the monks do. Do you think that the same truth that applies to monks applies to them as well? If they would, if they that if they would practice it and vice versa? Or do you do think that different people are designed to live by a different set of what's ultimately going to make them happy and fulfilled? I think different people are designed to live by a different set. So one of the things that the monks um, talked talk to me about was they say, hey, everything that you learn here, don't feel compelled to go out and like set goals of like, all right, I have to meditate one hour a day or I have to meditate 30 minutes a day. And if I don't, like it's like a failure because it kind of defeats the purpose of, of what they're all about. <laughs> so what they told me is like Buddhism is like a raft. You, when you, you, you only need a raft when you're crossing a stream. But when you're done crossing the stream, you don't carry the raft on your head. But if you do need to cross the stream again, the raft is always back at the stream. So like everything that you learn here, use it as a tool. If you feel like you need the tool, use it. And if you don't, then don't feel like this ultimate pressure, like have to do this stuff or have to live by this stuff. So it's a very like... They, they call it, they say like, don't believe anything that we say, put it to practice. And if you find it true for you, then keep it. And if not, then that's cool. What do you think is after life? Meaning like, actually, let me, let me rephrase that question. <clears throat> You're spiritual. You believe, I, I, I imagine that in some format, and this is a simple question to set it up for the next question, but I would imagine that you believe in some format or another that there is an afterlife, right? Yes. Okay. So do you, how, how much do you believe that what we do here preps for that? Okay. So I'll kind of get, so I, I, at one point I was really confused. I, I mean, I still don't, don't act like I, I know, but, um, I bought all these books and I was like, all right, I'm going to buy 10 books on like atheism and I'm going to read those. And then I'm going to buy 10 books that are like for religion and afterlife and all that stuff. And I'm going to read those. The most compelling argument that I heard for an afterlife was this guy that did a study, um, where he studied people's post uh, people's near-death experiences. People, so people who claim to have died and came back. So he set up this database online. Um, he got 1,300 submissions of people all around the world, different languages, different uh, backgrounds, different religions, to submit their, their experience of what they, their near-death experience was like. Then he went through and he found the similarities and he created an algorithm that if you were lying, it would c- just throw out your submission. So basically not even lying, but if your story was very inconsistent, you would ask questions like different ways 
And uh, if your story wasn't, didn't add up, he would just right, right. make it to the study. So what he found was that the most compelling argument that I heard for like there definitely being an afterlife was that people who were born blind, their entire life were blind, had near-death experiences where they left their body. And in their, after, when they left their body, they could see colors, mm. people, everything. So that's completely unexplainable. Like there's your, their brain wouldn't, uh, like it's just not explainable. Also, um, in, it's a really good book. It's called evidence of the afterlife. Also, it's, uh, when they looked at children that had near death experiences, um, just the, the stuff that the, the, the commonalities and the things that they would say, is just not stuff that a child that's like five years old would be able to right, right. articulate. Yeah. And then also very similar to each other's stories. Um, and then also, so he goes through the other things like people being able to recount what their doctor said while they were unconscious in another room, stuff like that. So that made me definitely believe that there was something beyond this. Um, now, what was the, what was the question again? Well, the, the question was like, Hey, do you believe that what we do in this life determine how, how much right. of what you believe in that? The so the reason that I don't feel like I believe in the whole, uh, Christianity, uh, the whole Christianity heaven and hell. Yeah. The heaven and hell thing is because I'm just like, okay, well you get 80 years on this earth and or 80, hundred max. And a lot of what you, a lot of your actions are dictated by your environment because if, if that wasn't the case, then poor areas wouldn't commit more crime. And you know, so I'm like, I feel like it's like, okay, 80 years in the grand scheme of eternity. That's like a, that's like a blip. Right. So it'd be like, well, I mean, the whole concept of time in and of itself is pretty. <laughs> right. Right. So <laughs> but it'd, yeah. be like, it'd be like you're in a relationship with someone for 20 years. One day, one day in those 20 years, they do something to piss you off. And you're like, I'm just like, you know, I'm, I'm done. I'm, I'm leaving this already. So I feel like to judge someone on eternity based on an 80 year period that they have on this planet where, where, where there's, it's really not like, it's not easy to navigate. Like there's, all this, there's social pressure. And we know like we have these, uh, these predetermined biases and, um, like you're more likely to believe what you believe because the people around you believe it. So I feel like to, to punish someone for eternity based on, and it would be different if there was one religion on earth and everybody believed that, then I could see that being a little bit more reasonable, but to punish someone for eternity based on what they do on this 80 to 90 year span. Um, I just feel like that's kind of, that's not, it just doesn't seem logical or moral plus the other thing too um and i don't want to like on christianity because i feel like every religion had like buddhism they believe in reincarnation or something right. i don't even we they've never talked to me about like afterlife stuff so i've never gotten into that with them i will next time i go but um which i, I don't believe that but um i feel you, like you don't, you don't believe in afterlife no i don't believe in reincarnation oh reincarnation okay so like also when it when i i i had a, a plane ride a couple like last time that i was going to vegas it was jacksonville to vegas and it was like a four hour, three four hour plane ride and i'm like super social so i talked to like all the people around me and i want to know their life stories and i finally like and and i can tell like if somebody like oh they just don't want to talk or they're shy or whatever so i find found someone who was just as social as i was so she wanted to talk just as much as i did so we talked on the i think i was going to denver and then i was going to go to vegas to visit my girl and so we talked on this whole flight, like three and a half, four hours. I found out she was like a Christian missionary. She told me about her life. She told me that she'd been through a divorce. So I like dove into that. So one of the things that I told her, and I'm totally open to this stuff. So I don't want you to feel like 
and I know you'll tell me too, like how you feel, but I don't want you to feel like, oh, because I'm, I'm saying this, that I'm not open to like, oh, bro, I'm so open yeah, to changing yeah, my no, mind of course, of course. about anything that I feel that if you, if you make a compelling argument, I will go research it. Yeah, and 100%. And proof of that is I recently read this book called The Weight, and it's about why you, it's by uh, Megan Good and Devon Franklin. Devon Franklin's a Christian pastor. It's about why you should wait till, to have sex until marriage. Even though I'm not Christian, I, read that book because I'm like, hmm, maybe there's something I'm missing. Maybe there's something I don't understand. Right, right, right. Something that would help improve my relationship. So I'm very open to changing my mind. And I feel like that's where growth happens. Right, for sure. So one of the things that I told this girl that didn't make sense to me was like, let's say, Josh, let's say you had a son, right? And at age 18, your son says, you know, Josh, you've just been a really father your entire life and you just haven't shown up. And I just, I just don't want anything to do with you. And he just completely cut you off. Would you still love your son? Yeah. Would you still want what's best for your son? Yeah. So I feel like for to look at the situation and say like, okay, just because we've done wrong to God, he's going to punish us for all eternity. I feel like how could the, the love of a father be greater than the love of a God? Then when you look at the story of Job in the Bible, I feel like that story, although like when I brought this up to my ex, she's like, well, that's Old Testament and all stuff. I feel like in that situation, the, the devil comes to God and he's like, um, you know, I bet you he wouldn't be faithful if he didn't, if he didn't have all these blessings, yeah, right? Man, God is like, yeah. mm -hmm. God's like pretty much like, all right, well, I'll show you. I feel like that's a very egotistical human emotion that only, uh, uh, like, that's a very low level, like only a, an egotistical person would think like that and be like, all right, well, let me fuck up this entire guy's life just to prove a point. So when I look at all these little and uh, let, me, let, me, let me pause you right there. I agree. And so one of the things that I am in the process of right now, so like, as you know, Kyle died, right? My brother. Um, so like that, that brings up a lot of questions and I'm pretty at peace and pretty chill with the fact that Kyle died, right? Like I, I believe I'm going to see him again and I'm pretty at peace with it. Uh, I believe that strongly the reason that I'm okay with it is because of my psychedelic experiences and, you know, things of that nature before and after that event happened. But one of the questions that I question Christianity on a lot. And let, let me be clear. I am very much a Christian. I very much believe in the Bible, but I very much question the Bible. And I'm very much right now. And part of the reason that I'm traveling is to either prove the Bible right or prove the Bible wrong, right? Like I, I want to know this. And one of the qu things that I run into a lot and continually and consistently comes up is I believe that according to the Bible, God is perfect. God is without flaw. And that, uh, you know, he can, you know, basically do and create anything he wants. It says that God looks at the earth and God saw that what he created and it was good. And I'm like, yo, God, if you're perfect, right, is this the best you got? Right? Because like this place, this earth is pretty messed up, right? Like it's a pretty jacked up place. And so, I, you know, I look at that and I was actually just off her mind in Boise. I was talking to a Mormon. And, um, you know, Mormons are, are just as religious, if not more religious than a lot of Christians are. And we were talking and he showed me a verse in the Book of Mormon and I, I have a copy of the Book of Mormon or whatever. And he was like, uh, God let sin enter this world, you know, because of Adam and Eve and Adam or Eve ate the fruit or whatever. God let sin enter the world to basically bring him glory because without sin, there could be no love. And basically the reason that uh, sin entered the world is so that God could be glorified. And I'm like, that seems pretty jacked up to me. Right, like That's if you're pretty egotistic, pretty yeah, right. However, pretty, though, go finish. I'm trying. I'm trying to get better at about not cutting people off. It's, it, it's one it, of the it, Buddhist practices. <laughs> so but like, ahead. so like, I understand exactly where you're coming from. Where I look at a lot of the inconsistencies in the Bible, and I, 
in my life, I've looked, I've looked at the inconsistencies in the Bible and I haven't been able to find one where I've not been able to prove it. Like if I go back to the original translation, but this is one where I'm like, you know, you look at the grand, I mean, going back to the whole grand Canyon concept, you know, the earth being billions of years old and some people thinking that I'm like, there's a lot of scientific evidence that would support that the earth is billions of years old. Yet there's a lot of creationists out there that are like, no, the earth is 10,000 years old or less. And I'm like, who, you know, we're, we're totally speculating here. Right. And so one of the the most difficult things for me, and I believe in an absolute God, I believe in absolute truth. And I believe as of now that the Bible is the most true thing on the earth. Right. But Ben Shapiro is someone that I respect a lot. I think he's one of the smartest, most educated men in the world. Right. Uh, this dude's, he's a Jew. He, you know, he's, a, a, a Judaism is his religion, which yeah. is pretty dang contradictory to Christianity. Like they don't believe that Jesus was the son of God, that the mm -hmm. son of God was not here. Like that's like the core crux of Christianity. And I look at some atheists that you super respect that are super smart. And I'm like, how does someone that is so well-educated believe atheism and somebody else who I respect, Ben Shapiro, be so well-educated and not believe in Christianity. And Ravi Zacharias, who is probably my favorite Christian apologist of all time, be so sure that Christianity exists, right? And you look at all these different things and you go, uh, I don't know, man. So like, I totally get where you're coming from when it comes to this whole, like, man, some of these things seem like that God's a pretty egotistical person because it literally says in the Bible that God created everything and did everything to bring glory to him. And I'm like, if we're made in the image of God, like the Bible says, is God the only one that's allowed to be a self-obsessed, you know, egotistical figure? I don't know. So, so, I, so I know, like one of the arguments that I hear too, against Christianity is like, well, if God's all good, then how is there evil in the world? And one thing I've learned through Buddhism is that there cannot be joy. There's like, without contrast, there's no happiness. Like you can't be happy without knowing sadness, which is why in Buddhism, we embrace suffering and embrace sadness as a normal part of life. Because without sadness, like that contrast, like you spend a winter in Michigan and then come to Florida and tell me like, you're not happy. So like you need that contrast to experience the other without like, so it literally like we could not like without that contrast, there would be one emotion and it'd be like neutral. So like there has to be suffering in the world and there has to be evil in the world for there to be good. Do, do you believe in evolution? I believe, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I would not, I would say I'm not educated enough on that subject. To, okay. Do you, do you believe that there has been, let's, let's take out the existence of the earth. Let's, you know, forget where it, where it started. But do you believe that, and if you don't know, that's fine. But like, do you believe that evolution has shaped to where we've gotten today? Like take out the, where it came from. I know it had to start from somewhere, whether that's creation, God, the big bang theory, like whatever. Like, but do you believe that evolution has, has caused the earth to shape into where it's been today? And it, it caused things like the Grand Canyon and caused things like the shifting of the earth and the rising of everything and like the evolutionary theory at all? Or are you just not sure? I think it has just because you can see the way that animals will adapt to their environment. So I'm like, okay, well, if, if this animal is this lizard that is in the desert is this color and it's the same color as the desert, it's adapted to the desert, but that same lizard in, you know, the Amazon jungle is like green. So I feel like we've definitely, um, adapted and changed over time. Plus I also, I have this theory, interesting theory. Uh, I can't remember if I heard it somewhere or if I heard something that made me think of this, that humans are actually devolving now because in the past and in the, in the animal world, like the, the rhino, that's like the biggest and the strongest, he fucks all the other rhinos, right? 
But in, in our society, you can be fat, make minimum wage, and you still get to reproduce, right? So uh, there's, there could be an argument that we could be devolving as a species. So as far as though, I think that evolution does play into it because the, on, I listened to a lot of Jordan Peterson and he talks a lot about like uh, relationship evolution and why, um, how like women make mating decisions and stuff like that. So the, the male that's like, you know, confident and can go out and, and kill the lion, kill the thing and bring it back home and eat it. That is the one that the woman would, would want to mate with. And then that makes the species better. And ultimately that like the guy that is the most confident and can, and the strong, I mean, it's kind of like survival of the fittest more or less. Yeah. And can problem solve is probably going to have his pick of women. Right. So, and if, if the best woman and from evolutionary terms, mates with the best man, now their child is more likely to be even better. So, so, so basically what you're saying is, is that you would have all the pick of all the good women. <laughs> <laughs> Are you really asking? <laughs> no, no, I'm just making, I mean, you can, you can answer if you want to, but I mean, hey. No, I think like, dude, if you look at, so I, I looked into like, um, did you see uh, Dan Bilzerian's interview on London Real? Dude, it was so good. Well, that's I exactly like, remember he says like 5% of the dudes fuck 95% of the women's. It's that's evolutionarily, insane. that's evolutionary, that's evolution right there. Dan Bilzerian's quite the, that was one of the most fascinating interviews I think I've ever watched of him. And I've watched a lot of Dan Bilzerian interviews because he- I, I've watched that one and the, the Joe Rogan one, but it was, that was really interesting. Yeah, I've watched them both for sure. It was fascinating. What do you think about him? I think it's the same as like Grant Cardone. A lot of people hate him because he's awesome and he's living this awesome life. Well, now, as far as like if he's happy and all that stuff. Well, that's a, no, that's a I mean, I, I, I super disagree with Dan Bolzerian on ridiculous amounts of moral levels. Um, yeah, I agree too. But, I agree but, too okay, so here's, here's what I'm going to say. There's a verse in the Bible, you know, talks about it multiple times. That's like, yo, be hot or cold. Don't be lukewarm, right? Dan there and ain't lukewarm, man. And if there's one thing that I, 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 one of the things that I grew up, and I grew up in a pretty religious and Christian home that like oftentimes you threw out the, the bath with the bathwater or the baby with the bathwater. Mm -hmm. I feel like, you know, you, if someone was just a bad human being, however we define that, we just kind of were like, Whoa. um, I have a lot of respect for Dan Bolzerian for one reason. And that is He's super honest. And I think mm -hmm. that if Dan Bolzerian, and I'm, I'm going to talk in vague terms here just because I don't even really, even really know fully what I believe right now, but like, let's pretend I was trying to convince Dan Bolzerian to become a Christian, right? Um, or, or, or lead him to salvation. Um, I think that I would have an easier time doing it for Dan Bolzerian than say the average person that was just like, meh, whatever about their life. And it sounds like no way would Dan give up all of this stuff Yes, maybe not, but at the same time, at least Dan's willing to be honest and look at and look at facts. He straight up on the interview was like, "Yo, I know everything that I do does not make me happy, but yet I still do it. I don't know, I don't know effing know why, but he's like, yeah. I do it, mm -hmm. you know." And so, I have a lot of respect for that, and I, I appreciate the fact that he's just entirely. He's like, "Hey, I'm going to screw every single girl I want to screw," and I tell all the girls that, which is in my mind like, ah, like so morally messed up, right? In my head, I'm like, ah, you can't live the life that you're living. And you know, you're, you're ultimately going down a path, but it, why do you feel Why do you feel that's morally messed up? Because, oh man, that's a whole side conversation of everything. But like, can I, can I piss real quick? 
Yeah. I don't yeah. want to be distracted with my bladder. I want to be like 100% present. All right. First interview that we've ever had like that. I, I, I'm down. I'm down. Guys, this has been, and it will continue to be J.R. Revis once he gets back from using the restroom. Fascinating interview so far. We've got another probably 30, 40 minutes uh, that we'll, we'll continue to go with this. But um, the one thing that I respect about J.R. and, you know, as he's you know going to the other room here, um, a lot of people get offended by language. A lot of people get offended by you know, some of the things that J.R. is pretty polarizing person, you know, especially with everything. But um, the same thing, you know, about Dembelzerian, Dembelzerian is honest. I think JR is pretty honest with a lot of things as well. And so uh, JR is a very, very dear friend of mine. And it's someone, he's someone that I always appreciate that I can have an open and honest conversation with because he's not going to lie. He's not going to say things that he doesn't believe. He's not trying to please people. And so ultimately, I think that that's a really good um, characteristic to have um, in what it is that you're doing. So um, I'm looking forward to continuing this conversation when he gets back. Also, I'm going to take this time to note that uh, if you have not gotten MindShift Playbook yet, we talk a lot about uh, mindset on this interview. Go to thinkdifferenttheory.com slash playbook. That's thinkdifferenttheory.com slash playbook. You can pick up the MindShift Playbook for free. That is my 65-page playbook on uh, the mind. And uh, you can get that there. Thinkdifferenttheory.com slash playbook. And there, JR is back. We took a commercial break. JR, well done. I got to promote my playbook. Awesome. Love it. All right. Sorry, cool. I'm, doing, I'm doing 75 hard. I got to keep on top of the water. I so. know. Um, yeah. So, okay. The Dan Bilzerian point. Yeah. Well, I, dude, can we, before I forget, can we talk about uh, polygamy after this? Yeah. Okay. I mean, I think this is a perfect segue into it. Um, sex is not just sex for sex for animals is different than sex for humans. And, um, I don't think that people understand the consequences or the benefits slash the effects, I should say, of doing that and doing what he does in the lifestyle that he lives. There is no happy. Okay. So one of the things that um, I think that I've been learning recently and studying recently that, you know, growing up, I don't think I understood the effects of is that every action that you take has a consequence, positively or negatively, every Mm -hmm. single one of them. And when you look at, um, what brings growth? Very rarely does pleasure bring growth. Now, I'm not bashing pleasure, right? Because pleasure, I mean, everybody you know, wants to move towards pleasure away from pain. But oftentimes, when you're uncomfortable, when you're pushing yourself, when you're, in your, you know, when you're not in your comfort zone or whatever, those are the things that ultimately form you to be a better person and form you to get ultimately where it is that you're going. And so when you are in a place where you don't like your typically having a positive outcome. And when you're doing something that like, for example, if I go to Vegas and I blow a bunch of money, it feels really, really good at the time, but it's also a net negative on my life usually because I'm you know, losing a bunch of money and it's you know, a bunch of negative. And so Dan Bilzerian living the life that he lives with the lifestyle that he lives in a constant state of pleasure and a constant state of everything. I mean, he even talks about it on the London Real interview. It has to get bigger and bigger and bigger and it has to be more extravagant. And you know, if he's not driving a Ferrari, like what's his life, right? Like a Ford Mustang is nothing to him, right? So like you have this and it's the same thing true with the girls. The girls have to get hotter. There's no pleasure in sex anymore for him. Like, I mean, yes, there's physical pleasure, but like, you know, there's uh, one person that can be married to their wife or their husband you know, their whole entire life and only have sex with them and be incredibly happy, incredibly fulfilled and have an amazing relationship with them. Dan, I'm not saying he's never going to be able to settle down with one woman, but um, there is going to be significant, significant, significant effects 
of his actions on any future relationship that he tries to have. And if he ever tried to be loyal, if he ever tried to change his life, if he ever tried to you know, go out there and start to live by any form of moral compass, he's going to have a ridiculously hard time doing that because of all the actions that he's taken up until this far. And so that is a shortened answer of a much deeper... I'm trying not to... For the sake of time, I know we have some time left, but like for the sake of time, like without going super, super deep on that, like I think that's my shortened answer to it. But like you have to understand that all actions do have consequences. And Dan Bilzerian's life is nothing but pleasure to the outside person. And I think that when you try to fill everything with pleasure or whatever, it's because there's a hugely missing void somewhere else. And he himself has said that the reason that he is so egotistical and wants all the attention is because he was, you know, abused slash deprived of attention as a child and, you know, had a a lot of really messed up things in his childhood. And so you look at that and you go, well, that's clearly amplifying in his life. He himself knows that he's not happy. He himself knows that none of what he's doing is actually bringing happiness or fulfillment at all, but he's doing it simply because he can. Yeah. So my view on this is like, number one, you should be able to whoever you want. But I do believe that if you treat sex, which is the most intimate thing that two human beings can do together casually, then the rest of your life you'll treat casually as well. Your friend relationships, your business relationships, your view of yourself. And I have a YouTube video about this. It's called um, Sex and McDonald's is Making You Poor. So it's essentially about how the things that we do, like pleasure, that are essentially we do them to feel better. So you you drive by McDonald's and you know you shouldn't get a Big Mac, but you do it because it's going to make you feel better. Yeah, it ultimately is. makes you feel worse. So having sex with people that you shouldn't, you feel like you shouldn't have sex with, ultimately it's to feel better in that moment. But in the long run, it actually makes you feel worse about yourself because you're like, I don't even value this person, and I'm you know rubbing genital, bumping genitals with them. So how am I going to value myself? So I think that, um, I think casual sex is harmful. It's harmful to, to your psychology. And I agree. Um, I, and I've, I've been there like, you know, growing up, all I wanted to do in high school and, and beyond because it was the cool thing was have was sex that? with lots of girls. Yeah. So it was always like, it was like this fun thing, but it was never fulfilling. And it was always like, you know, it's, it always seemed more fun until like the second after it was over, I'd be like, this really was not that, like, I just feel dirty. And I, I felt that there was something wrong with me because all my friends were chasing this. So I was like, oh, maybe like, I, I, there's just something I'm missing about this. So let me just keep trying until I, until I find out what's missing. So, and ultimately like, and I hate to get too deep, but like sex until there's a study uh, where the Sex on first date, only 10% of women experience orgasms. Um, by the, in a, in a long-term relationship, it's like 60%. So that goes to say that sex with somebody that you don't even know isn't even that pleasurable to begin with. So it's just, a, it's just like this thing that we've like made in society uh, because especially in, in like younger dudes because but, it's cool, well, whatever. But also I think that it plays into and the drug in your brain of connection, right? Um, the, the the I mean this is marketing right like the 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 number one uh, drug that we chase and that we crave is the most powerful form of uh, of uh, drug in our in our mind is um, I forget what the name of it is but it's the it's the drug that causes the feeling of connection right it will make people give up their relationships I mean it will make people give up their religion it will make people do things that they like would never imagine doing because they crave this so much and so the that that drug of connection. I mean, one of my best friends, you know, and I have a lot of friends that have sex all the time, right? Like 
is like the reason I like sex so much is because it's the one moment in my life where I feel connected to someone. You know what I mean? And so I think we as a what I call pseudo connection. But like I think that our society, especially social media, right, has made us more connected. But in reality, that's made us less connected. We we can talk to everybody, but we don't have the feeling of connection. And so because of that, like I don't know. I feel like social media has really played a huge role, not only from the content that's going out there, but also in our brains and the psychology of it, of like people going around and having, you know, sex with more and more and more people rather than being more committed because it's easier, it's easier to access. And I'm, I don't know. I think that there's a lot that goes into that. But I think the ultimate driving factor behind sex is the fact that we want to feel connected and that we want to like feel good about ourselves with that. And like, because society measure success off of that, then that's what we crave. And because we want people to like look at us cool and like be cool. And that's, you know, I think we all have different driving reasons behind it, but I think there's a much deeper reason than just sex. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And um, dude, one of the things that I would say to my girls, like I feel like I like cheating on someone and adultery and all that stuff. It's the easy way out. Like it's the easier thing to do. And that's one of the reasons why I will never do it because I'd feel like I'm, again, I'm failing at being the best version of myself. This isn't what the nine, what nine figure JR would do. So I always tell my girl, like, I will never cheat on you. And it's not because like, I'm such a morally ethical person. It's because I know that if I ever cheated on you, I would hurt my self-esteem because I would look at myself and be like, wow, Jerry, you're such a piece of shit. Like you're just, so you're, you're not going to cheat because you're selfish. Exactly. So this is one of my theories is like, you should be selfish because if you are selfish, you will always do what's right for everybody else. If you're long-term selfish, you'll always do what's right for everybody else. Because if I'm so selfish in my business, I'm going to do what's best for my customers because I know that I'm so selfish that in 10 years, like I'm going to have a more sustainable, more successful business. If I'm selfish in my, in my self-esteem, I'm never going to do anything. I'm never going to I will never raise my hand at my girl. I will never raise my voice at her. I will never cheat on her because I know that those things are signs of weakness and I value myself so much that I know that would hurt my own self-esteem. So I would do that. So my, my theory, and I, I used to, this actually came to me one time. I, I was like, I'm so, I don't smoke weed because I get super paranoid. And one time I smoked weed and I got, I got paranoid and I literally like, it, it was like these little, it was, I didn't even smoke it. It was like these brownies and well, my, my neighbor's a cop. So I'm like, and he has a canine. So I'm like, <laughs> and I'm like, my neighbor's dog is going to smell these right now. He's going to start barking. And then my neighbor's going to come over here. He's going to call the SWAT team. They're going to confiscate these. Brownies. Oh my gosh, bro. So, uh, come on now. Brownies down the garbage disposal and, <laughs> and ran the water for like half an hour. What? <laughs> I was super high. But one of the epiphanies I had when I was high was everybody's selfish. I'm like, the only reason that, that, that I, that me, me and you are friends is because I some, in some way bring value to your life. Not, you wouldn't be my friend. Well, everything that you do, I mean, there's, there's an argument and, and I've had long debates about this. I think that everything you do is somehow based out of selfishness, because even if you're like, no, I'm doing this because I believe it's you know, morally and religiously right. And I'm like, well, yes. And therefore you're doing that because selfishly you want the, the benefits of following your moral compass or whatever. Like at the, at the end of the day, like everything we do right. has selfish motives behind it. Exactly. I, I agree with so that. So I had that epiphany when I was, you know, super paranoid. And, I, and when I was high, I looked at that as a negative thing. I was like, nobody even cares about me. The only reason that anybody's involved, like has, has me in their life is because I may improve their life in some way. Yeah. So I 
when I sobered up and I, I was thinking back at this, I was like, wow, that's actually a really good thing because the old, the fact that I'm the most selfish person means that I'm always going to do what's best for everybody else. Like I'm going to make sure that I buy you a present on your, on your birthday, because I know that that's going to like, like that's going to make me feel better. Yeah. I mean, be genuine about it, obviously, but exactly. But so yeah. essentially, so everything, like the reason that you, you have a kid and you don't abandon your kid is because you would feel like a piece of shit if you abandon your kid. So that selfishness of like, I would feel bad about myself if I did that keeps you from doing that. So being selfish is essentially, a, it's the most positive thing because if you put yourself first, you'll do Under, it. Right. Underlyingly self. Well, well, good, good selfishness, not, not bad self, long-term selfishness. I, I like how you yeah. put that. So, well, I mean, exactly. Cause short-term selfishness is like, oh, I'm just going to lie to everybody, but that, that's not, that's not what's going to be what's best for me long-term. If I lied to my customers and I made some up and I made like some claim that wasn't true or whatever, that made more money now in the future, number one, that would hurt my self-esteem. And I know if my self-esteem is down, I'm not going to be able to, to look at myself in the way that I need to look at myself to perform. So because I love myself so much, essentially, it keeps me from doing things to other people. Have you ever tripped? No, dude. I've never. I've only ever smoked weed, and I, I do. I want to try. <laughs> I want to try LSD. I want to try mushrooms. And we'll, uh, we'll have to do it together, bro. It's the most life changing thing in your, of your entire life, dude. I'm so down. My my girls told me like, oh, you need to try LSD. It's amazing. And to clarify for people listening, I am not necessarily endorsing it. <laughs> you need to be in a good state of mind. Um, to, you know, like you have to have a good mindset mentality going in, but. Dude, it's like, it's insane. It's it's nothing like weed. It is nothing like weed. So like, don't go in expecting that. And um, you know the, the different phases and the different levels of it. It's a very eye opening experience. And you'll you'll realize. I mean, if you ever question whether or not there was an afterlife before you trip, you will not question whether or not there's an afterlife once you trip. Yeah. Um, my first, I mean, I've had an out-of-body experience through tripping, um, which was just nuts um, and absolutely insane. And like, it's just weird. Like just, it's, it's crazy, crazy what it will do to open it up. But I, I know that drugs are pretty controversial and technically, you know, LSD and mushrooms or whatever are classified as a drug, but they, um, I don't know. For some reason, I feel like that psychedelics are on this earth for a reason. I have I can't ha back that up with biblical proof, but there's a lot of arguments that I've read and a lot of theories that like do you know like the story of Moses and the burning bush in the Bible? Yeah, I've heard that that was yeah a, that was an ayahuasca plant. Yeah, um, it's like known to grow in that region. Yeah, it's known to which would make tremendous tremendous sense, right? Like I mean, it really would when you when you have experienced psychedelics, and I have done s several different type of psychedelics, not just LSD. Um, you um you start to realize like it is crazy, bro. So like, do you know anything about LSD? Like, have you talked to people that have done it? Like, have they told you their experiences at all? Um, I've, I've been around people that have done it maybe like one time. Okay. Uh, my girlfriend's done it, but I haven't really asked her too much about it. Man, it's nuts, man. Like you can see dimensions, LSD specifically, like you can see like dimensions and stuff. So like my floor, it was nuts. So I did it literally out in the other room um, one time. And like my kitchen floor is like, you know, it's tiled. And they have like all these cool designs, you know, it's got like cool designs or whatever. Like literally all it like it hits you and all of a sudden like it's 3D, bro. 
And it's like, you're like, what on earth? And you can like see different dimensions now. Now you can see like 3D and 4D and like you can hear like audio feedback and it's all like crazy stuff. So when you're talking, it's like a ripple effect. And then like you can jump dimensions. And then like when you hit peak, if you take enough of it, like not everybody hits, you know, like major, major peak because you, know, you got to take enough. But like when you, you know, like, take enough, like you just kind of like trip into stuff. Like you're just like sitting there and like you like fall back and then everything kind of starts to spin. And then you're like, when all of a sudden you're in this like different world, bro, like whole different reality. Like you can go anywhere at the snap of a fingers. You can explore anything. And it's just like this free fall and you, you just learn and you can search so much, which is very different than like a DMT. But like you learn, like the perspective that you gather and that you bring, you come down and like on the come down, you feel like you're like, literally you feel like you're Bradley Cooper in the movie limitless. You're so freaking smart. It's ridiculous. But like, in the, in the mid peak of everything, you're like searching around and you're looking for like purpose and meaning and you're seeing like thoughts and ideas and like all these different crazy things. And then you like come out of it and you're like, how did I not know this before? And you get back to, to like reality and it's just, it's the most crazy, incredible experience I've, I've ever had in my whole life. Um, I highly recommend uh, trying awesome. it. It's amazing. And yeah, it makes some time to do that. The, cool, the coolest thing is too, is like, I'm weird and I know you're weird too, but like this, I love like marketing and stuff. So like tripping is like a 12 hour process. Like by the, you can't go to sleep for like 12 hours. Now you're not like actually tripping for 12 hours, but like you can't sleep for a while. Peak is about an hour to two hours in and it lasts for about an hour to an hour and a half maybe. But then the come down is you're not like tripping anymore. So you're not like out of this world, right? So you're not like floating around in outer space, like, you know, like you do. But on the come down is this, everything makes sense. And by everything, I mean like you can think about literally everything, anything, and you just know how it works. You see the missing parts. It is literally like limitless. You've seen the movie Limitless with Bradley Cooper. It is like that. And so like all these people, and I know some big influencers that I'm not going to mention any names that trip balls a lot, right? And, and like, it's weird because you don't, you don't remember everything. But like for me, like the second and third time I tripped, I literally watched, this, I watched Sam Oven's webinar. <laughs> <laughs> and I watch Russell Brunson stuff because you just see what they're doing and it all pops out. And so I'll just have like a big, huge whiteboard and I'll like start writing stuff down as I'm watching Sam's webinar. And like, he did that there and that's why he did it. And I need to add that. And I need to add that. And like all the marketing psychology makes sense. But if you also look at like, you know, health problems, all health problems, and everything makes sense. It's a very, very, very eye-opening experience um, with that. Now, once again, I, I'm looking at the Facebook comments that just came through. James Smiley is asking for endorsing hardcore drugs. I'm not endorsing them, but I'm saying that James is very anti-drug. It, oh, is he? Yeah, he. I, I don't even think James. Correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think he thinks people should even smoke weed or be allowed to smoke weed. <sighs> James, that's sad. No, I'm, just <laughs> I'm very pro weed, but anyway, all all, the, all that to be said. I think psychedelics are something that people are afraid of because they're afraid of the unknown and. Yes, you can absolutely have bad trips. And yes, you should not go on any form of psychedelic if you're not in a good mindset. And no, you should not do it by yourself or alone. But I don't think that people understand how eye-opening it has been. And people are, in one trip, we're curing post-traumatic uh, stress disorder. Uh, we're, we're having people that are having near-death uh, near experiences or end-of-life experiences that are freaking out. They trip one time, they're totally at peace with death. And like just the most crazy, crazy radical transformations that people have from like one experience and until you've experienced it like you can't bash it and that's my whole thing about it like if you've experienced it and you've had a bad experience great but you can't you can't bash it until you've tried it 
So anyway, yeah. that's my that's my thoughts on psychedelics. Dude, I totally agree. Um, I yeah, I totally. I've never even had the opportunity. Like no one's ever, dude. I've been offered cocaine like twice in my life. I, cocaine is not a psychedelic. Oh, oh my no, gosh! Saying, like when it comes, I am not to- <laughs> endorsing cocaine. Oh my word! <laughs> when what are you gonna say to next? Like, let's shoot heroin. My word! <laughs> no, I'm no. saying when it comes to drugs, I haven't had lots of opportunities, which is weird because I grew up in the in the hood, but we were just poor, so we just smoked weed. Yeah. So um, I've oh, had weed. I've been offered coke like twice. I've been around people done LSD like once, and and I've never even been offered it. So I've never even been offered like, hey, I got some. Do you want to buy some? Come to so, Ibiza uh, with us. Me, me and Leah, we're, we're going on this world trip, right? Um, coming up and we're going to do... Uh, I'd be so down for that. We're, we're going to go to Ibiza. Apparently you can... I, I was looking up yachts in Ibiza. Bro, you know you can rent like a 40-foot yacht in Ibiza with a driver for the day for under 1500 bucks. That's insane. Yeah, bro. So That's we're like, funny. let's go freaking rent a yacht and you can come party with us in Ibiza. Be Dude, great. I'd totally be down for that. I'm literally telling people that we're about to trip psychedelics in Ibiza. We're, we're gonna, and by the way, guys, for all of you that are, are super anti this, let me clarify. We're going to be playing I took a pill in Ibiza. Why we're doing it and we're going to love it. Dude, Mike Posner is one of my favorite artists ever. He's doing a tour where he walks across America and plays shows for free. I home. know. he's Dude, and he got bit by a rattlesnake. Did he really? Did you I, see that? He, no. He's walking across America. He had to be, was it the, a helicoptered out or taken in an ambulance because he got bit by a freaking rattlesnake and they had to take him to the hospital. He almost died. Dude, where the hell is he right now? I've been waiting for him to come to Florida. I don't know. He's walking across America, bro. He's headed to LA. He went to my, uh, he went to my hometown in, in, in Pennsylvania. That was like his first stop, one of his first yeah. stops. Okay, I want to get to politics real quick, and we'll kind of wrap it up on the political note. But before I do that, I do want to recap. How long have we been on here? Already? Hour and 45 minutes. Damn. Actually, I have more, more than that because we started a little early. So like an hour, probably two hours, close to. But I, I do want to just kind of recap the whole religious thing real quick. When it comes to psychedelics, religion, and things like that, I am a Bible-believing Christian. I believe in the God of the Bible. I believe that the Bible to be the most accurate book that I know of so far but I question Christianity a lot. I question religion, religion a lot. From excuse me, from a perspective of um, I want to know that what I'm like. I want to know why I believe what I believe, and I believe that if you're not willing to question what you believe, that you shouldn't really believe it. Because if it if it's going to fall apart when you question it, then there's probably a reason that you shouldn't be believing it. So for me, like I question Christianity. I do believe in God. I am after truth. I, I'm after truth. I'm an avid truth seeker more than anything else um, for that. And I do believe in the God of the Bible. I'm not endorsing psychedelic drugs, but I am saying that um, if you get the opportunity to try them and you're curious about them and you do it in a safe setting, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I think that it's hard pressed to say that it's a sin to use some form of enhancement to have a very, very spiritual uh, experience. And, and it's very, it's a very, very spiritual experience. I'm not saying that you should go to a party and trip ecstasy or have ecstasy or trip acid or whatever, just to party and have fun. But in a, in a very spiritual setting, I think it's a very, very good thing. So kind of recapping there as we move on to uh, politics, is there any last things that you wanted to say about the religious side of things before we move on? No, nah, man. Okay. I want to move on to politics real quick. I want to talk about Trump, but in uh, a little bit of a different light, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Um, I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday. She and I were kind of going back and forth about political system. Kind of feels like we don't have a whole lot of power in the political system. Like, let's go back pre-Trump, right? Kind of feels like the political powers that be just kind of do whatever the F they want, right? They're just like, yeah, cool, we're gonna do this and screw the people. Trump kind of comes in and takes everybody by surprise and totally jacks up the political system, totally pisses off a lot of the elitists 
And yes, he's an a-hole. Like I get that. Like he's definitely very rude. And I have Julie Stoyan coming on the podcast. We're going to debate Trump. But I want to talk about what Trump has done specifically for the political system as a whole. What do you think the Trump effect has done? Do you believe that he has done more good or more harm for the political system as a whole when waking up the country? And do you think that he's going to be reelected in 2020? Okay, so I'll kind of preface this with saying that I don't have cable. I don't like check news sites. I get most of my news from like my friends and Joe Rogan. (laughs) I love Joe Rogan. So whatever I say is based on my experience and what I've seen directly and the the few things that I've seen, because I also don't keep up with the moves that Trump makes on a day-to-day basis. That being said, I think most people also don't. If you ask somebody, what is the a day in the life of the president look like? Nobody has any clue. So they see something that comes out and they make a snap judgment based on that one thing. Um, that being said, based on the things that I've, that I've seen, I think he's definitely going to get reelected. Like if, if he did it once, he, I mean, and just, just statistically speaking, he's going to get reelected. I don't even think that's like anybody. Is there anybody that even that's refuting that right now that that's oh. going to happen? Bro, half the world, or half, nobody thinks, like every Democrat, every person that hates him is like, there's no way he can be reelected again. And there's the, po- the a, lot of, a lot of polls say that he's not going to be reelected. They say he's losing in the polls to Joe so Biden. I think that, um, L-O-L. I think that, dude, I don't know. I, I look around, I'm like, huh? Everything's pretty good, at least from my perspective. <laughs> so I'm like- And you're black. Oh, wait, no, you're not black. You're 46% <laughs> white. So you know nothing, JR. Oh, 48%. My bad. Your opinion is irrelevant. 48.5. Yeah. So um, when I see like, yeah, like he's an asshole and all that stuff, but I, I do kind of feel like to be the president, you should be extremely financially successful because how are you going to run a country if you've never ran a company? Like it's just, I, I feel like you should probably have to be a billionaire to be the president. But, and there's like the whole opposite side of like corruption and blah, blah, blah. But dude, I actually met one of my friends here in, um, in uh, Tallahassee. He's here for school. And he's from Dubai. He's from um, Abu Dhabi. And so we were talking last night about like, like, what have you noticed in, in um, Dubai versus like the U S and like, why do you feel like there's corruption here? And he's like, well, in the, he's like, we don't call it corruption in the United States because it's legal. It's legal here. (laughs) (laughs) So it was really interesting to hear like his, um, like the differences in, in how they function out there and, and they have like free healthcare and free or, or he's like, is it, I don't, I don't get it to that. But he's like, Americans hate the word socialist, but he's like, that's not how we view things at all. So um, anyways, I think that, I think Trump has done a good job. Like, I, I don't think he's done a, a bad job. I feel like there's always going to be things that you can criticize, but you don't know. Like, I, I, I just always look at it like, could I do a better job? Or like, if I made that decision, would I have been as effective in that way? And like, I look at it as a whole. I don't look at like this one decision and be like, oh, like throw out the baby with the bathwater, right? So from what I've seen, I'd probably vote for Trump again. Um, now, that's going to get a lot of hate because it's like, oh, he's an and like, you know, grab him by the and all that stuff. And he's a misogynist and all this I mean, I don't vote for the guy for, I mean, I don't, I, I didn't vote in the last election because I was in Thailand and I really was like, I, I don't really know if I want to vote for either one of these people. Um, but when it comes to like, from a point of leadership and point of, from a point of, I think Trump's a great leader. He wouldn't have been able to build the businesses that he has. 
He's also very good at um, getting what he wants. So he, I think he can easily manipulate other world leaders into getting what he wants. And I feel like the last four years in this country, at least, have been pretty damn good. So um, as far as head in, heading in the right direction, like could there, now is there things that we can improve? Absolutely. However, um, one of the things that I do like about Trump is I don't feel like he's been bought the same way that like Hillary or somebody else would have. So I don't know. And it was tough. It was tough for me to, to come out because like to come out and, and, and feel like this because the, the girl that I dated in the past was Mexican. Her family, when Trump got elected, her whole family was like in mass state of depression. And I'm just kind of like looking at looking at it from like a uh, point of view of like, like, I feel like you guys are kind of overreacting right now. And immediately I, I was like, mm, Trump was probably a better choice than Hillary. That was met with, a, and, then, and then again, I don't know all the details, but neither do you and neither does anybody. Like you right. don't know the shit that Trump is told on a day-to-day basis that you don't hear about. And you don't know like, if is there someone else that's pulling the strings that's not the president? So at the end of the day, it's very hard for me to say like, yes, I'm, I'm a hardcore Republican for life. But when it comes to like social issues, I do, I do lean more left and I do lean more left. But when it comes to um, concert, like when it comes to like economic issues, I usually tend to side more with, with conservative. Yeah. You know, I think it's interesting because I, I grew up very Republican. I grew up in a farm community that was pretty much all white. And ever, if you didn't have a gun, you were weird. Right. So like, um, I actually am a lot more left on a lot of issues, social issues than I think a lot of people realize. I just don't think it should be the government. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, and I agree. Because like literally everything the government touches is messed up. Like there's not one single thing that I look at and I'm like, dang, the government did a great job with my money. Right? Yeah. Like every single time they're like messed up. Now, like if I made millions of dollars and I think Joe Rogan gets this one really right, he's like, I have no problem giving away more of my money. I have no problem distributing the wealth around per se. But he's like, I just don't trust the government to do it. And so that's why I think that it's really hard for me to support anything the government does. I believe, and you know, a lot of people hate Ben Shapiro, but I'm in very much in alignment with a lot of what Ben Shapiro says politically. I think that, you know, I'm a Christian. I think more, from a moral standpoint, and we're not going to discuss this morality, but like, I'm just going to say this, but like from a moral standpoint, I think being gay, like or being in a gay relationship is wrong. However, from a political perspective, I don't think the government should have any say. If two dudes want to sleep together, live together, be together, whatever, go for it. You know what I mean? Like that is totally your choice. And so I think that most, like pretty much the only thing the government should be involved in is the military. That's pretty much it. Like they should keep our country safe. Maybe, maybe yeah. increase commerce and that everything else should be done at a, a state level. So I, I have a, I have kind of a little bit of a different view. So I think the government's really good at starting things, but they're really bad at running things. Yeah. So what I mean by that is like no private company, like if it wasn't for NASA, we wouldn't have a space program. No private company would take on that risk. Now, the, Except like, for Elon. Gov- <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, but exactly. So that's the, that's the point I'm making. The government started the space program. Elon made it better, right? Yep. Because it's, it's private industry and all this stuff. So I think that the government's role should be like, let's start everything. The thing, because no, no entrepreneur would have been like, all right, let's, let's try to build a space program from scratch when nobody's been in, the, in space. It's just, it's just not going to work. But the government's really good at getting it up and running. And then entrepreneurs are really good at looking at that, finding what's inefficient and making it better. Like if you look at how much Elon Musk cut the cost of sending a rocket to space, it's just ridiculous. Like you like, you can't believe that like the government couldn't figure that out. So I think that they, 
I think everything, mostly everything should be privatized. And yeah. if we do pay taxes, it should be like, okay, like, let's say that in your city, there was two, there was two police forces, right? So then they, they were owned by, they were private companies. Like eventually we would give our money to, and let's say like there was a pool, but it got distributed. There was taxes, but it got distributed to these private companies, right? Instead of the government. So eventually like, because there's competition, it'd be more efficient. So let's say like when you call 911, the first call went to one company, the second call went to the second company, the third call went to the third company. At the end of a year or two, the that data was released. And then you say, hey, taxpayers, vote which one of these companies do you want to yeah, give your money to? Here, to here's expand. which one did better. Yeah. Right, exactly. Dude, imagine how much better off oh my gosh. everything would be. Well, and I think one of the things that I proposed, which I, I don't know the effects of it, I haven't looked into it, but just kind of off the top of my head thing that I proposed one time, I was like, imagine, imagine if we had the ability to choose where our tax dollars went. Like, you're yeah. like, yo, you, you must give 30% of your money to the government. But like 5% of it is going to go to run all the government, like, like the basics of the government. The remaining 25%, you can distribute it and put the money wherever you want it to go. You got to give it, but you get to select where it goes. I think that'd be lit, bro. Like, because then the people that are all about social justice issues and want to, you know, give, you know, stuff for, for women and, and, and then like things like that, they can give to that. People that are all about the, you know, the uh, military can give to that. People that are all about roads can give to that, like whatever it is. I don't know. I, I think that'd be great. But I feel like that it's, that's really, I feel like that's really risky to just do, but I feel like if we ran that as a simulation for like, right, right. Like you got to test it. I'm sure there's huge problems with that, but like, I feel like that's a step in the right direction. Yeah. If we ran a simulation for five years that every time you paid taxes, you'd say, okay, if you could choose, what would you spend this money on? And then at the end of five years, like have experts come in and build like a simulation of what society would be like, like how big would the military be? What would the roads be like based on this and based on like how efficient we, we know things are. I feel like that'd be awesome. But they see like, it takes an entrepreneur to think of that. Like somebody in government's not really going to think that way. Right. So that's why I feel like entrepreneurs should be running everything. Like, Entrepreneurs just- should be running everything. I agree. Okay, for the sake of time, we do need to wrap up here. But I, I have one more question uh, politically for you. Do you think that the role or that the the position of president is outdated? And do you think that it should be changed to like a board of advisors per se? This is a very Joe Rogan concept. Yeah, I think absolutely because it just hasn't changed so much and society's changed so much. And we have just so much more data now and so much more efficient ways to do things. And I, I just feel like there definitely needs to be a reform, but that's extremely scary to most people because then it's like, okay, well, then we have to amend the constitution. But, and, but couldn't one argue that we kind of already have a board of advisors called the Senate and the, and the House? Right. So the, And like the Trump is just like, you know, the president is just like kind of the, the end, the, the overall like final shot caller. So I think the number one thing that we could do right now to improve society would be to focus on ending... Uh, corruption within the political system. So, and like, and it, <laughs> good luck. <laughs> well, I mean, so Andrew Yang, I heard him propose like a, a simple solution for this. It's like, okay, everybody gets uh, the same amount of like political dollars to campaign with, and that's it. So let's say like every, let's say we, we all raise money. So let's say all the candidates raise, I, I don't think this is his exact thing. You should look into it. But let's say all the candidates raise money, but legally has to be put into a pool. And then it gets distributed evenly to everybody. I disagree with that. And every that way, so okay, so that way, like the job, so humans work off of incentives. So you can't if the incentive is there to for corruption, there's going to be corruption. So I think the job or the, or the task would be to look at 
where we could kind of cut the legs off on the table of corruption. So, okay, right now, how is it happening? And how could you stop that from it? Because like, just make it to where and no, no congressmen or senators or anybody in government gets paid. They have to have their own jobs or businesses outside of it. Yeah, dude, that'd be perfect. That'd be awesome. So one of the things that uh, my friend from Dubai was saying is like in Dubai, um, there's no like police corruption because cops make like nine grand a month. He's like, so you, he's like, you can't really bribe them. And it's a, a relatively good job there. So people want to keep it. So they're going to do good. So he's like, it makes sense for the, your security to be extremely well paid. Yeah, I've heard that in Dubai. Like literally, if you left a purse like full of cash on the sidewalk and walked away from it, you literally could come back like two hours later and it would still be there and no one would have touched it. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's insane. It, it lasts crazy. like yeah. 10 seconds here so, in America. Um, I don't know, dude. And then like the funny thing is, I'm sure people, you get like me messages all the time. Like I saw one time you posted someone on you for some Trump. Yeah, bro. That was nuts. <laughs> but I'm like, at the end of the day, like everybody who believe, has at one point believed something that was wrong and then they realized it was wrong. So for you to yell at somebody for saying something that you disagree with, it just shows that you're a little at the end of the day, because anybody who is a, any reasonable person if someone says something to me and I'm like, like they listen to this podcast and they're like, JR, I, so email me, JR at JRRivas.com. If you disagree with anything, I'd love to change Ooh, my mind. I would yeah. love to change my mind on it. Because- I'd like to change your mind. The fact that you're actually black, not white. <laughs> I'm going to email you about that. JR. I'm Dominican actually. Yeah. Both of my parents were born in the Dominican Republic. I saw a meme on Facebook that said, uh, I would like, it was by a, a white girl, obviously, but she's like, I would like to, my, my gender noun of preference to be identified as pumpkin spice latte right now. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's about, that's about society for us. Dude, right have now. you watched uh, Joe Rogan's, uh, I mean, not Joe Rogan. Uh, Dave Chappelle? Yeah. Bro, I watched it a couple nights ago. Dude, he went off. Oh my off. gosh. Dude. You want to talk about politically incorrect. <laughs> Dude, he made jokes about Oh pedophilia. my gosh. About Every- the LGBT community. And the craziest part was, as pisses me off, Rotten Tomatoes. Rotten Tomatoes took five critics, time. five critics, and was like, yo, write this. And they gave it a zero, a zero percent rating on Rotten Tomatoes. And when the the public came out and did their rating on it, it got a 99% approval rating. And this is why everybody hates the government. Everybody hates review people. Everybody hates the establishment and why Dave Chappelle cannot be canceled. Dude, in the, in Dubai, my friend was telling me, he's like, they have a lot more trust for the government there. Everybody loves the government. And I'm like, wow, I didn't even think that was possible. Yeah, no I think that um, when it comes to like, like comedy and stuff like that, you should be able to make jokes about anything, anything. anything. like he made jokes about pedophilia and stuff, and I fucking laughed. He made a he made a joke about the the, the audience. Like he literally yeah. made fun of them. And like, here's the thing, man. Like, I, the the only one where I think he went maybe went a little bit too far was the the, the pedophilia. Um, but like once again, it's comedy. You've got to know what you're going into going into it. I love the Kevin Hart stuff that he did. I he made fun of Christians. He made fun of gays. He made fun of, of gun owners. He made fun of you know wh- white people. My, my, one of my favorite jokes, I, I was watching it at night. I laughed so freaking hard. And you'll like this because he was about the black thing. He's like, it's up to the blacks to save America. And you know what we got to do? If we really want, because he was talking about guns, right? And he was talking about like, you know, saving, you know, like making guns illegal and you know, all that stuff. He's like, the only way that blacks can save America is that next election, every single one of us black people need to go out there and register to become a legal gun owner because you know for gosh dang sure that's the only way that they're going to make it illegal. <laughs> <laughs> I was like just 
dying laughing. But like, it just goes to show you like, that's the state of our country right now. We're so divided, dude. We're so Dude, divided. I laughed the hardest. I won't, I won't tell the joke that I won't ruin it. But the one where he was like, well, what were they wearing? <laughs> oh my. <laughs> well, what were those kids wearing? <laughs> right. Or when he was like, Chris Brown beat up Rihanna. What did Rihanna do? <laughs> I'm like, oh my God. So, like, dude, I'm not supporting domestic violence. I right. Think it's terrible. Right. But I think, dude, I, I take here so many black jokes and shit all the time. And I'm like, dude, that shit's funny. Yeah. Don't, don't watch it if you're not politically correct. Mom, if you're listening, do not watch it. Um, cause I will never hear the end of it, but, uh, yeah, JR, I want to move to rapid fire questions. Thank you so much for coming on, dude. I appreciate your time. Dude. Thank you. It's been fun. It's been amazing. I will have to do it again. Uh, I want to move to rapid fire though. First rapid fire question, although comes to us from, um, Mr. Joseph Lazikin. He would like to know what your favorite type of taco is. Vegan tacos because I've been vegan since May. You're vegan? Yeah, dude. All right, guys, we're going to probably delete this and not air the <laughs> podcast. We don't have vegans on there. No. Um, all right, vegan tacos. Fair enough, fair enough. Uh, favorite airline to fly? Um, I really don't give a honestly. I, I, most of the time when I go to Vegas, it's either Frontier or Spirit that are the only like direct flights. You fly and, Spirit, uh, bro? That's just... Dude, insane. yeah. Dude, I'm trash, right? Um, You're trash. Yeah, dude. I don't even, I can't even remember the last time I wasn't on a flight that wasn't Frontier Spirit. That's but, um, dude, I just give the pilot a hand job. They let me sit in the exit row and I'm good. It's almost like first class in Delta. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, I know you have a Corvette, but do you have a dream sports car? Yeah. So I have a little dream board over here. I've actually been reevaluating this as I've wanted to explore simplicity and, and just keeping my life as simple as possible. So I think um, so up here, I have a McLaren 720S, um, Lamborghini Aventador, and a Rolls-Royce Dawn. Mm. But I think um, the more I think about it, the more I'm like, man, I'd really just enjoy a Tesla and just having the simplicity of a Damn. Tesla and then just renting one of these cars whenever I wanted to drive them. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that 100%. Um, somebody like a fantasy person that you would love to hang out with for the day and be like, be homies with. Hmm. So one of the people who I think has a very well-balanced life is Jesse Isler. Like, I think he has the money. I think he has the ideal model relationship. He runs like marathons and shit. So um, I think he has a, a, a very, very close to like the kind of life that I want. So you want to hang out with him for today? Him or somebody that would help me with mental toughness, like David Goggins. But I've, I've like researched him and stuff so much that I, I pretty much know everything he's going to, he'd tell me. He's going to tell you. Yeah, man. I think I'd be homies and hang out with Joe Rogan for the day. Honestly, bro. <laughs> Joe Rogan's a man. Yeah, he 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 me. Okay. Um, what is your? We have two more questions. This is the second to last one. What's like uh, you, like your dream fantasy or like bucket list item that you want to do someday? Like big, Dude. big, big thing. When I think about like someday stuff, I just really, really, really want to have a happy marriage that sustains the test of time. That is unlike any other marriage that I've ever seen up close. That's awesome. Because I feel like that is a lot harder to do than any of my other goals. Yeah, 100%. I agree with that because there's two people involved. All right, last question for you. We end every podcast like this, every single interview that we do. Imagine you fast forward to your life or the end of your life, you're on your deathbed. Everything that you've done is gone. All of your accomplishments are gone. Your money is gone. Nobody knows who you are. However, every single person that you have influenced, uh, either directly or indirectly, you get to leave them with one final message. What is that message? Honor, treat your commitments as if 
once you make a commitment to something or to yourself, it's as good as done because ultimately the, how your life ends up and the value and self-worth that you will have and the love for yourself is in direct correlation with how you've kept, how you've, the kind of job that you've done in keeping the commitments that you've made to yourself. Mm. Mm, That's good. That's good. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been the incredible J.R. Revis. J.R., thank you for coming on, man. Thanks. It's been any, fun. Thank any, you. Any final last words? Yeah. Um, I'm an attention whore, so follow me on Instagram. The J.R. Revis. At the J.R. Revis. We'll link it down below, guys. Uh, yeah. where if, Is that where the best place for people to find you? Yeah, it's most likely to where, where I, I like enjoy interacting, interacting with people on Instagram. It's very, very interesting. Send him a DM, tell him why he's wrong, tell him what you disagree with, or email him, jr at jrrevis.com. Jr, I got to run. I got another interview, but thank you so much for coming on, man. We'll talk soon. All right, dude. Thank you. Guys, this has been the JR Revis. As always, hustle, hustle. God bless. Do not be afraid to think different because those of us that think different are going to be the ones that change the world. I love you all, and I will see you on in the next episode. Take it easy, fam. Peace. Yo, what's up, guys? You've been listening to the Think Different Theory with myself, Josh Forty, which I like to call a new paradigm of thinking. And real quick, I got a question for you. Did you like this episode? If you did, I want to ask a huge favor. See, the biggest thing that helps this podcast grow and that will spread this message of positivity and making the world a better place is if you leave a review, a rating, and subscribe to the podcast. What that does is it basically tells the platforms that this is out on, that you like my stuff, and that I'm doing something right. So if you could take like three seconds out of your day and subscribe, leave a rating and a review, I would be forever grateful for you. Also, I want to hear from you. I want to know your feedback, your ideas and your questions for future episodes. So be sure to hit me up on Instagram in the DM at Josh 40 or via email contact at thinkdifferenttheory.com.